Oh, how are you? Yeah, all good, mate. Yeah, nice to uh, uh, nice to be involved. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm delighted actually you contacted me, which is, and I'm going to say this because I'm fucking useless for this whole podcast. Do you know this is probably 101 podcasts? This is 101. Is I think yeah. so. Um, I think so. Uh, I had massive fireworks for the 100 podcasts and all that. And my family <laughs> came around and I, I'm only messing. I didn't even tell anyone. <laughs> but you contacted me and I'm going to say this. If anyone wants to contact me and come on the podcast, do. Because this is what it's about. And that's all I'm going to fucking say. Because I'm not into leaving the guest waiting there for four days while I do a load of shit <laughs> in the background. So um, you contacted me and you wanted to come on and have a chat, which I'm grateful for. And uh, unlike other podcasts, you did ask me a few questions. So I kind of know what to ask you. So I'm kind of going to sit back and enjoy this one. <laughs> so, I, know how it's, I know how it's going to go, unlike other ones. Um, do you have BPD? Yeah, so um, I only had the diagnosis about six weeks ago, so it's all it's all really new to me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a history of gambling addiction from the age of 17, 18, and then with that, I got diagnosed at about 21 years old with anxiety and depression, you know, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, I'm 33 now, so I always had, I've always, I've been to the doctors in the past about my mental health, but I never kind of, until recently, I never... Um, join the dots on this BB, BPD, um, but after researching it, I'm I'm convinced that, without a doubt that that's the correct diagnosis. You know, because I know there's similarities with uh, bipolar disorder and stuff. But I don't I don't get the mania if you like. I, I have to yeah. to get to get the highs. I, I was gambling, and for years I was going out on the weekends on the piss, get doing drugs and sleeping around. You know that that was my that's how I got my highs. You know, yeah. um, but but after. After researching this BPD, um, which I started to do probably about two and a half months ago, um, and I was going through a difficult time, um, having suicidal thoughts and stuff, and then I got referred to a, like a private psychiatrist because with the NHS you're going to be waiting a long time to get to get this kind of um, diagnosis, I'd imagine, you know. So um, went private, and I basically self-diagnosed I, I kind of put it to the psychiatrist this is what I think I've got um and after we had we had a zoom call for an hour um and he said yeah it does sound like that that could be the case and then we had a second zoom call um two weeks later for an hour and, and that's when he confirmed the diagnosis of uh, BPD and the way they phrased it was emotionally unstable personality disorder but I understand that's that's the same thing it's just a different way of uh, describing it it's the exact same thing because borderline yeah, personality yeah. disorder is a very, it's a weird name. Like, you know, it's a very stigmatic kind of phrase, uh, title to have, really. Yeah, but I, either of them, personality it disorder on its own. There's a lot yeah. of people when I tell them I have borderline personality disorder, they think I have multiple personality disorders. In that way, it's a very confusing name because it, it doesn't describe exactly just how legendary we are. It should be called legendary personality disorder. I'm yet to believe it, but I'm sure I'll get there eventually, Sean. You know. Yeah, you're just not. Yeah, you're you're only in the you're in the training phase. You're in the train. You're not a master, a fucking <laughs> a borderline master. I've never said that. <laughs> yeah, but we'll get you there. We'll fucking get you there. But like, you got diagnosed. So you you gambling. So I have to say, I never gambled. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. 
because I seen it and I it really, really scared me in a sense of I seen what gambling does to uh, a family and I seen exactly like presses empty and shit like this. And it just scared me going, this is fucking what gambling does. Like you'd have no food. And um, I like to binge eat, so I kind of didn't want to have that. In <laughs> so yeah, gambling... The, the, the worrying the worrying thing, I never gamble, so I'm not going to pretend I understand, but the worrying thing I always had with gambling is this. You can drink mm. only... You know what you're going to say, yeah, yeah. You can just gamble whatever. There's horrendous no addiction, yeah. It's horrendous. horrendous. And, and mis- misunderstood, I think, by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, they think you can just stop and all the rest of it, but yeah, it's horrendous, like you say, for that reason. You can only put your body through so much, but this is more the mental and it's, it destroys you mentally, you know, and that's, I think from years of abusing myself in that way. <clears throat> and then obviously it's like the chicken or the egg, you know, which came first, was it the addiction mm. or was it the anxiety and depression, Who, you know, but um, it's no surprise that the, the borderline personality disorder was disguised for this long. I'm 33. Mm. Um, one of the first things I did, I looked on YouTube for some videos, see, see from, you know, lived experience, what they were saying done a research on Google and I, I, I'm on Twitter. That's one of the few social medias I, I still have. Yeah. Um, and I searched BPD. There's a lot of, there's a big community on there with people who are open about their BPD. And um, yeah, and, and a lot of them more stands out. A lot of them seem to be in the early twenties, which surprised me because I, I think this is something that would probably, without having the, 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 the addiction, the anxiety, depression, I would have thought this would be quite hard to diagnose anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, there seems to be a lot of people in their early twenties on there that have this diagnosis. So I feel like I'm a bit late to the party, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember I remember being in therapy in 2009, and when I was finishing in 2012, I could see a wave of I'm 43. Um, so I could see this wave of youngsters coming along, and I went. Oh, for fuck's sake, there's going to be a wave of young people coming along with this illness. Because very few people, very few people had it. Um, very few people were diagnosed in Ireland in like in 2009. I got, well, 2011, I got my diagnosis, but they knew I had it in 2009. But I mean, there was very few that had it. And now it's just a tsunami of people with borderline. You know what I mean? And... I mean, the way I look at stuff like that is really it's not a tsunami of people with borderline. It's a tsunami of hypersensitive children being born. If you want to get into the metaphysical, the fuckers were predicting this shit years ago going, there's going to be a wave of really hypersensitive kids coming. I'm not into the metaphysical, but I'm sure there's plenty of people that listen to this that are. And they were kind of right going, there's going to be a wave of, of really hypersensitive children being born. As it turns out, they were right. And they're here, as in like, and they're not coping, which is mental, which is fucking mental. They're not coping, just like mm. yourself. I and think it's exasperated. It's exasperated by the technology age we're in. The social media's got a lot to answer for, I think, because yeah, you know, that, that, that's isolating people from each other as well. And, and I think I remember, I'm 33, so I remember, you know, playing out on the street, um, you know, not not ginger, curbsy, and all the all the games you play in the street, uh, playing football, yeah. and going camping, climbing trees. Mm. And I remember having a computer console, but I wasn't that 
big into it, thankfully. But uh, kids these days have got the computer consoles, they've got social media and stuff. So it's going to have a massive impact on uh, impact on mental health, isn't it? Especially for that mm-hmm. age group coming through, you know, because they haven't got maybe the social skills and all the opportunities to have that, that that we might have had, you know? No, because at the end of the day, they don't, like, as you just said, Curbsies and all that. Curbsies was a great game, though, wasn't it? Yeah. I played Curbsies with the kids um, there only last year because it is a great game. For anyone that doesn't know what Curbsies is, it's basically the sidewalk in America. <laughs> I had the path, as we call it. You call yeah, it yeah. You call it a path as well, don't you? And yeah, then the yeah. side of the path or the sidewalk, you basically hit a ball off it and you have to throw the ball and hit that curb. And it's a legendary game. So simple. So the ball bounces back into your hand, yeah, from the, from yeah. the corner of the, the sidewalk, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not explaining that to its full elite. But, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right because what you had, you know, going back to Curbsy because you have to trigger it all, what you had... <laughs> was one lad standing at the side waiting to play his game while two other lads were playing it. And he was hoping one of you'd lose fairly quickly so he would get a game. You had to wait. Well, he did, whoever was on the side. Uh, the other, you know, you had to do so much interaction. You had to lose a game. You had to be laughed at. You had to be able to handle mm. being laughed at. Then you had to stand there in the hall of shame waiting for someone else to lose. There's so much to it. The children nowadays, from what I'm listening to in books, they don't even know how to have a conversation where they're looking mm. you in the eye. They can only text you, right? Mm. Which is why it's so easy for a child. When I say a child, I could be talking about an 18-year-old. Um, but it's so easy for an 18-year-old now to actually text someone, sure, you're only a fat fucker, and get on with their day. Not realizing and having to look like, would you go up to someone's face and say, sure, you're only a fat fucker because you wouldn't do it because you'd have to check their fucking emotional response to that. You'd have to digest that. You'd have to deal with so much doing that to people. Whereas nowadays people go, sure, you're only a fat fucker or you're only a mad cunt or whatever they say. And then they just get on with their day as if nothing ever happened, as if there's no consequences. Yeah, no consequences. I was going to say, yeah. Actions. And this is the world we're living. This is, this is why people are becoming more narcissistic. It's not because of any. It's technology is removing the fact of them having a facial interaction. This is why, like the majority of my podcasts, like you found me through YouTube, which is a rare thing because it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Because I don't promote the podcast. I'm not on social media now, so it's not like I'm out going, "Hey, listen here, ye." Dudes or whatever the fuck people do and and i like it like that but at the same token what you have is people becoming extremely fucking narcissistic because they're not doing this like every time i do a podcast i can see your face you can see mine now what you can see is me looking into the camera because the camera's up here and i'm kind of looking at your face here so i'm looking at your face even though the camera's up here and that suits me down to the ground as well because there's a little bit of autism in my head. <laughs> so mm, yeah, I don't like yeah. looking at the camera. Same. But the point is, I can still see your facial expression. I can see if you're getting bored or I can see if it's too much for you. I can see all these things and I can then adjust my way of speaking to you 
you know, I, the amount of jokes that I would tell on this podcast when I can feel people getting a bit upset, just to bring them back out of there. I, I, I noticed, I, I've watched a few, only a few, and I've noticed you're doing that, to be fair, as well, because like, you can tell if, I, as you said, the BPD, we're good at reading people, and I believe that as well. I, I, yeah. I, I believe I am. And it's as a curse as well as a, a good thing at times, I guess. But, yeah. um, but I noticed on your, some of your podcasts, yeah, you see that they uh, a bit anxious, if you like, and and and, and like, I I I, it, I I do notice you doing that actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Like you can't do that over text with emojis. I used to get in so much trouble, actually, believe it or not. I used to get in so much trouble on social media because I would talk, I would text as I talk, and as I talk, it's pretty fucking. If you if you were to write out my yeah. speaking, yeah. the amount of curses in it was unnatural. And then I could be on about, should I fucking stab you in the back of the head? Right? Now, the way I say, I should I stab you in the back of the head, you know I'm joking. Mm-hmm. But if you read that in black and white, sure, I would stab you in the back of the head. You're going, I should this fella's a fucking psychopath. So, yeah, so many times my texts have gone misconstrued so many times yeah. in the past. Uh, and I and I and I've and I've read them wrong as well, and I've yeah. caused arguments, you know, because I've looked too far into things, you know, overthinking. Mm. So yeah, text messaging is uh, is dangerous as well. Yeah, for sure. So come here. How did you get? How did you get into your diagnosis? What brought you? Normally, there's a dramatic fucking entry point, as they say. So I've gone. I've gone through a lot of therapy since 2016 in the form of um, cognitive behavioral therapy with mm. with the gambling. But so the first time I went was uh, in London, 2016. I self referred because I was kind of at my, at my wits end at that point. I was desperate. My dad was on the verge of kicking me out of the house, and I was I just lost another job at the time. And rehab started to kind of play on my mind a bit. But I made a few phone calls, and uh, they said, "Oh, it's going to cost like ten thousand pound." You know. Obviously, being a gambling addict, doing my nuts all the time, um, I didn't have the money. Um, but then, luckily, I made one phone call to a private rehab, and they said, "Yeah, this this costs uh, ten grand or whatever it was." And they said, "I'll try these." There's a charity called Gordon Moody Association, and they, they they've been running since 1971. Not many people know about them to this day. They've got um, a residential rehab in London, Beckenham. They've got one here in Dudley. Um, in West Midlands, and they've got they've got like they just opened a, a woman a women's gambling uh, residential um, house in Wolverhampton as well, so they expanded. Yeah. Um, and they're funded by the gambling industry. The gambling industry pay like a one percent levy of their profits. Which you know, when I found out, I was like, well, why don't the alcohol companies do the same? You know, and, and the drug, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of alcoholics out there that yeah. can't access this treatment. So I feel very fortunate that it was gambling, not drink or drugs. You know, because because obviously. This charity meant that I didn't have to pay for it, uh, which has obviously made it possible. So I'd done that 2016. I managed, uh, I stayed in London. I moved away from my little town in Wales permanently. Lived in London for two years. I relapsed um, 18 months after I, I got to the rehab. I relapsed 18 months after. The, the, the rehab itself was 14 weeks residential. Mm. And I stayed on I stayed on in the halfway house down the road just, just for extra support. And then I found a job in London doing really well got into a relationship as well with my ex obviously no ex-girlfriend um and everything was great for a while and um insecurities and that around the relationship was kind of the main problem really my insecurities meant that 
I was causing issues in that relationship, little arguments and that. And then I relapsed after that. Um, it was a year, sorry, the first time I relapsed after a year. Um, uh, I can go back into that later on if we have to, but then fast forward know, a bit. Do you know why you relapsed? As in, was there something happened that triggered you into well, going? So 2016, that was the first time I'd ever got serious help. I mean, before that, I did kind of, I, I had some basic counselling, just talking to a lady in uh, Citizens Advice Bureau. She wasn't like trained in gambling addiction or anything, but that actually, that helped me. So I stopped for a year then, that was 2014 to 2015. Um, but I relapsed and I thought I can't keep going through this. And so I, so I got into the rehab. Um, sorry, what was the question, Sean? My mind's gone blank there. So when you relapsed, what, was there a trigger like? Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was red flags. So. I'd finished the treatment, I think it was September, the 14 weeks finished in September, October 2016. I was living in the halfway, then I started a new job in the January 17 in a construction job, working all over London. I loved it, doing metal decking. Um, and then I went back home to visit some friends in Cardiff for a night out uh, in the March. It was Easter time, I think, 2017, and that's when I met my soon-to-be girlfriend. And then a month later, we made it official, all that jazz. And I think it was a mixture of the pressure of the job because I just started in the January. I was in training for a while. And then it was like, use your tools, use your labourer on your way. So I had a lot of pressure building up in that job. I was working long hours. Hmm. And the mistake I made, I, I didn't get the balance right with, um, I had debts to pay off. And it wasn't a massive amount. It was, it was about three, four grand, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a massive amount. But I, I, I was paying too much of my wages on the debt, you know, instead of take, going the long road and just taking my time in my head, I was just like anxious just to pay the debt off. So yeah. I put myself under pressure financially there. Uh, as a result, I sometimes worked seven days a week. There was a lot of overtime going on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so I was kind of burning myself out. And then with the relationship that came into play, she lived in Cardiff. I, I lived in London. I'd visit her in Cardiff. She'd visit me in London. and. Um, so it was kind of such long distance, but I, we were busy in the week and then we'd always see each other on the weekend. So it was okay. But I think the pressure of that relationship, I didn't realize I had the honeymoon period for like three months and everything. I was on top of the world. Mm. Probably in love for the first time as well. Um, but then when it started to go wrong, funnily enough, she was on a hen weekend in, in Dublin. Uh, is that where you're from, Dublin? No, no, no. Is I'm it, from I I'm, Dublin. I'm from Athlone, no, Dublin. Dublin is about 80 miles from me. Ah, right. Well, she she was there on a hem weekend and she posted on Instagram. Um, it was a photo with her and two coppers. It was totally innocent, obviously, you know, if it wasn't, if she had something to hide. It was me and my insecurities creating problems. And it was it was kind of from that moment I was texting her, giving her shit when she was away out on a hem weekend. It was just an awful behavior from my part. Yeah. And I think that's that was kind of like the beginning of the cracks then. That and I was kind of like looking for things and, and it basically boiled down to I was that insecure that I, I couldn't accept that this this woman loved me as, as she did and she was amazing she had no wit she was the first girl I'd met with she didn't have any issues because you were trapped where you are I was in a really good yeah. place at the time when we met um, and I just probably I just didn't feel worthy so I hit that self-destruct button again um, started started going out on a piss a little bit more um, started doing you know coke on the weekends again and stuff um, 
and just taking things for granted again like I've done so much in my life taking things for granted that relationship we go just yeah so um it all come to a head I she was staying at mine uh that was towards like say November 2017 then and I remember I just we had a few arguments problems I was creating and I just said it we're over you know and she she was in front of me in my bed begging me to reconsider like I'll help you I'll help you but at that point I wasn't letting anyone in you know I, I was so because because what had happened I I started doing the lottery in the August and then it, a month later I was full-blown going back into the bookmakers again betting on horses and dogs and obviously we split up in the November then so it, the gambling had already been in place so it was almost like I blamed her like pinned on my unhappy, unhappiness on her it's her so, fault can I ask you, you a know, question she, it was just totally madness you know can I ask you a question? So when when you were going back into the gambling, right? Is there or was there a sense of shame? And then to hide that shame, you'd start a couple of arguments. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was like distraction tactics, really. Trying to take attention away from what was really on my mind. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 never consciously. Like I never, hmm. at the time, you just get, you just get consumed by these, by obviously what the thoughts going on in my mind. I was burned out from work. Started gambling. I was beating my uh, the, the pattern with me throughout all the problems I've had. I'm, I'm my own worst critic, and I beat myself up rotten, you know. Like so, I just beat myself up to a pulp in my mind. Like, call myself all the cunts under the sun, if you don't mind me saying that word. Um, no problem. I love that word. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, I just couldn't accept that I'd been doing so well. I I had had a year off gambling up until that point until I relapsed in the July mm. August. And all my family were so proud of me for actually going there to get the help off my own back. I mean, I wasn't speaking to my father at the time, but that's something we can get into further on because that's been a tumultuous relationship all throughout my adult life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a lot of my family were were proud of me, you know, and I was proud of myself. You know, at first going into rehab, I was embarrassed by it. I was thinking, no, people are going to judge me, but actually. At the end of the process, I was so like, yeah, you know, it takes big, a bigger man to face up to your problems than to keep running away like I did. And, you know, burying myself in alcohol and doing drugs and shagging around and just fucking up all my career opportunities and relationships. And so obviously I set the bar high and that meant there was a massive perch to fall off. And, and I did, you know, I, I'd done the year gamble free and it was a massive fall for me. And I didn't know how to handle it. I, I wasn't communicating with my girlfriend. She was there trying to understand and help me but she was then walking on eggshells like she said i she she had anxiety in the past and she said i, I set her anxiety on again i was just terrible to be around it's an attitude you know and you know yeah. it's just and um that was four years ago that relationship ended now and to be honest i'm still not fully over it i am i have never entertained the idea of being in a relationship since really i haven't been well enough to do so because after that relapse i decided to contact Gordon Moody Association again and, and they said look we, there's a four or five months waiting list this time I contacted them January 2018 after I'd ended the relationship I'd been gambling heavily and I, I was behind them my rent in London it was all piling up on top of me these problems so I knew I had to do something so they said yeah we'll have you back but because you went to Beckenham it hasn't worked we'll send it to Dudley in West Midlands so um, that, that was in uh, June 2018 I, I went back to Dudley I went and done me sorry for the first time. Done the 14 weeks residential again. Uh, decided to move closer to home this time. So I moved back to Bristol. 
Uh, I'm from Newport, South Wales, just over the Sem Bridge, so it wasn't far from family. Um, I managed 28 months without gambling um, from June 2018. I managed mm. 28 months, but I was unhappy the whole way through. You know, I was still dwelling on that relationship and thinking back, I was thinking, what have you done? And by that point, she had moved on. She, she started a new relationship. And so there's no, no possibility of reconciliation there. I had to move on and I, I left it to it out of respect, you know. Um, came back to Dudley, like went to Dudley, sorry, done the 20, uh, 14 weeks, managed 28 months gamble free, living in Bristol. Lockdown happens. Um, there's a few things that happened before that as well, but lockdown was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So I, re- I relapsed October last year, 2020, and found myself back here again in Dudley, where I am now. I started the rehab again, June the 4th uh, this year. So I've done the 14 weeks again for the third time, which, to be honest, it's been the first time was a dream, you know. It was one of the best times of my life in rehab in Beckenham, but it's been it's got harder and harder ever since. And I know I can't do this anymore. I, I, I understand this addiction inside out, but you know nobody else can do it for me. I've got I've I've got the knowledge and stuff. I know, I know what the triggers are and what I you know and, and what, what are I've the, got to do. What are the triggers? There's lots. I mean, there's so many. Uh, I mean, I think the, the 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 running theme since I got I got kicked out of my parents' house at the age of eighteen. So things have no, never been right with my family ever since. Really, it's always been rocky, to say the least. That's the running theme. It's my family. I I haven't got the relationship with them that I that I want. So that's that's always like a constant trigger. Really, even now, things are incredibly strained. And 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 no. We've spoke already, so you know what I'm like. Um, mm-hmm. Just in case, because the next question I'm going to ask you might be like, fuck you, Sean. When you say you got kicked out of your, out of your parents' house at 18, can I ask you this? Did you deserve to be kicked out? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. And it's like, it wasn't uh, an easy decision on their part because my mm. mother kicked me out and then I went to my dad's house because my dad, my mum and dad split before I was born. Yeah. So, that, you know, I, that was what but I always share my time between the two houses. But my dad took me in anyway, and that lasted all the six months. He kicked me out, and I was so for surfing for a while. But neither of them wanted to do that to me, you know. Right. It, it was tough. It was tough love because they, they could see the road I was going down. They, they knew about the gambling at that point. And I think they did it as well to, like, try and shake some sense into me. But unfortunately, it had the opposite effect. And I, I, I was bitter and resentful about it for a long time. Yeah, and I blame I blame them for my problems. Oh, you know, how can you do this to me? Self pity and all the rest of it. Well, that bollocks. Yeah. So it actually had the opposite effect. But they, they did it with good intentions. Oh, you know, they didn't want to see me out on the street, but they did it with with good intention. The hardest thing for, like, the hardest thing for a parent to do. Mm. Um, you don't have children, you know. Um, yeah. I like I know you don't, so I can say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. the hardest thing for a parent to do, like. You know, as a parent, I remember when my daughter was born and you're there and, and, and she's born. And instantly, for me anyway, you're, you're just catapulting her whole life, you know, all the way. And, and there's no part of it where you dream of kicking her out. There's no, there's no part of it where that comes into your head because you wish them the best, you want the best for them. And for a parent to, to kick a child out, it must be fucking... It's they're at the end of their straw, like you know what yeah, I mean. It's just not the same. Was. I mean, I predominantly, I predominantly grew up. I lived with my mother growing up, and mm. um, 
then I'd usually I'd stay at my dad's at weekends. So that was always the routine. Um, I think things went. My mum, you know, there's not a love like your mother, love from your mother in it. You know, we love you unconditionally, and that. My dad was more of a cold person, yeah. but he loved he loved loved me as well. You know, obviously, but he just didn't show it as much. You know, but um, but yeah, it wasn't that easy decision. My mother, she suffered with um, postnatal depression when I was born, so she was nice. she would have been 18 when I was born. So I wasn't planned. My dad was 19. She suffered with depression ever since, and she had a difficult childhood with her father she's she's the oldest of uh, five siblings and um my grandfather was in a was a violent man you know and my mother being the eldest she she bore the brunt of it you know so that her mental health was already kind of messed up anyway but i think when i was born she had i know she had postnatal depression and she's been on medication ever since now over the last 33 years so back at that time i got chucked out she had given birth to my brother spencer my um, my stepfather um, he was about he would have been three or four years old at that point when I got kicked out at 18 and she was saying you're, you're affecting you're affecting Spencer now you know my brother you're affecting him so I think that was the, that was the, that was the ultimate kind of yeah. you've got to, you've got to go and I was affecting a relationship with my stepfather I was just like me I was constantly hanging in for money and stuff and with, with the gambling and that and just going out on the piss I didn't care about family back then I, I all I cared about was Getting my wage at the end of the week, going out on the piss, um, gam- you know, gambling, going out on the piss and, and doing drugs and shagging around. That was my that was my priority for a number of years. I didn't didn't give family the time of day, so they were totally right to do what they'd done. And my father, I remember him saying to me, "If you don't stop this gambling now," when I was eighteen, he said, "You're not going to have the family you always wanted. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to." Mm. You know, you're not gonna have you're not gonna have a good career, and obviously, all those things came true. All of those things came true. So the, the buzz of gambling, right? Again, I I don't gamble, but I, I've I've researched gambling. Um, you know, the the according to the scientists, they reckon it's the same hit as a shot of cocaine. Um, it, yeah. it acts it's the exact same pleasure part mm. of the brain. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, as I said this before in a podcast, one a, a person I used to work with, he nailed it for me. He nailed it. Of all the books I've ever listened to, it was a man that I worked with. He said, human beings, they're just looking for a release. That's all they're looking for. And some people get the release through drinks, some people through drugs, some people through gambling. But it's all the exact same part of the brain. That's, that's the pleasure center of the brain is just hit. Where they're just looking for that little bit of Ah, you know, it's escapism, escaping yeah. problems. They don't, they don't go away. They just get worse. Yeah. They get, they get pulled. They get pushed to the side, and then they just mount up, mount up. Before you know it, it's you square in the face. But you know, you, like, yeah. can I ask you why gambling? Like, how did you get into gambling? Um, nobody in the family was a gambler, so I'll say that from the off. I wasn't influenced by anyone in the family. I remember. I started my plumbing apprenticeship at 17 and um, I remember it was the gold cup was on and my, the guy I was working with at the time, he was going to the bookies. We were working on Cardiff Bay and, mm. and there was a, there was a bookmaker just up the road. So he went to place his bet on lunchtime. I went to get some food probably. And then I popped in with him. Obviously 17, I was underage and he was looking to put a bet on the gold cup 2017. And, um, I was looking at it with him and he, and he, I think he might have said, do, do you want to put some money on? And I said, I'll oh, go on then. Why not? You know, 
I'd never been into a bookies or ever thought about gambling up until that point. Right. Um, and I put, I wanted to put a 10 a win, I remember, on this horse. And I just picked the name, you know. Didn't, I didn't know what odds were or whatever, form. And I picked the, i never forget, don't forget, um, War of Attrition. War of Attrition was the horse I picked out. And it was probably 25 to 1 when I picked it out. I think the odds went down eventually. I was going to say, I'll just put a 10 on that, you know. And he said, oh, do you want to do it each way? Because he said it's a big price, you know, do it each way. So I put a five each way on it. Yeah, and it won. It won. It won. The, I remember we were we were finished. It must have been about four o'clock. We went to the van and listened to it on the radio, the the, the live um, ra- mm. race. You know, see who wins. Um, and I won. A, I won one about seventy quid. But I was absolutely buzzing. And then it's strange because there was nothing. Um, I didn't. I didn't gamble. I didn't go to a bookies uh, again until after I turned eighteen. But I didn't even think about it in that time. I think. Um, I think the, just going back a little bit, I think the seed was planted before that, to be fair as well, because I remember going on holidays to caravan parks with the family when I was younger. Yeah. And I had a cousin, Adam, his dad was a gambler. Okay. And Adam was a year older than me, and we were kind of best mates at that time. We always was on holiday together. And so was my stepmother's nephew. And he'd be on the fruit machines, and his father would. So when I when my dad was having his beers in the night, I'd go off and I'd see Adam, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. And I was curious, all these bright lights, you know. And then I that's when I started going on this fruit machine. I used to nag my father for a quid here and there to go on him. And he didn't think anything of it. He didn't know it was going to turn into an addiction. Yeah. Um, and then I remember going to the pub with my mum then, not my mum's side of the family, you know, through the years, through early teens. And I remember hanging her for money as well. And so the seed was set there. And then when I started drinking in the pubs, 15, 15 I started drinking in the pubs by me, my mates. We, we did used to put a few quid in, but it was never anything. It didn't, it didn't consume the night. Like we, had a, we was out to have a good time. It did. But then that 17, I think that was the turning point. I went into the bookies for the first time. And then when I was 18, I started my, the college part of my apprenticeship plumbing. Um, it was like three blocks of four weeks throughout the year when I wasn't working. I'd be in college. Um, and the second term of that, I got a bit friendly with the guys on the course. And we started going to, just down the road, there was a sandwich shop, a bookmakers and a pub. Perfect for your lunch. You know, we had an hour lunch, hour and a half. So they, they, they started speaking about these roulette machines and the bookmakers. I never heard of them until they, you know, mentioned it. They said, oh, my mate put 50 quid in the other day, won 200 quid or 500 quid. Or... Nice. So curiosity killed the cat. And then that was when I was instantly hooked to these uh, fucking machines. Um, so the second term of college, um, we were going to the bookies after the sandwich shop, and I was, I literally was instantly hooked. It was like it was like I, I would imagine someone doing crack cocaine instantly hooked to it. You know, I was instantly hooked to these roulette machines, Bob T's they call them, fixed odds betting terminals. And I remember I was in my first relationship, my uh, my girl, first girlfriend at the time, and I used to race home from work and college just to go to the bookmakers, but I'd often stay at her house if there was just let me stay at hers through the week and that, after work and college. And I I started quite early on turning my phone off, ignoring text messages. I was in the bookmakers. I would say, oh, I'll, be, I'll be back at half six at yours for the tea and sleeping yeah. over hers and whatever. And then it got to seven, then it got to eight, you know, some nights, and I started turning my phone off. It got so bad, she was convinced that I was cheating on her. Yeah. And this is, this is at the age of 18, 19 now. Um, so you sh- you'd think I would have known at that point you've got a serious problem here because this is the severity of what the gambling's doing to me. 
it's, it had that such of a hold on me. I was doing my weekly wages, three hundred quid constantly, and I'd save just enough to have my night out in the piss, and then I'd rely on my mother or, or payday loan or something to, to tide me over, you know. So it was just, yeah, eighteen is when it really went downhill. And was there ever a stage in your mind where you went, look, I'm earning this amount, I'm going to pay my bills, and then with the rest, I'll use that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, early on, so early on, I had I had the kind of control of I would probably do. So I was on good money back then. I was on 300 quid a week after tax, and this is 18 years old, really fucking good money. So more money than I obviously knew what to do with. Um, but at the early, maybe the first year, it was more like I'll do 150, 200, and I'll leave just enough to get by. And I did that. Then after so long, you know, you you need to put more bets on, higher bets on to get, you know, you build up a tolerance, I guess, like drugs, you need more. So my bets started going up. I'd be more reckless. And I was chasing the ace there because I was like, well, I've lost this much money last week, that much before. And I'm, I'm thinking I need that big win now to win it all back. And obviously the big win still- never comes. Essentially, you're basically you're trying to chase back the money you lost. Is that yeah, true? yeah. But but that not knowing any better. I mean, I was in complete denial for years about having an addiction. My family and friends were telling me you've got a problem. I would not believe it. I I, I was like, no, I'm just, I can I can stop if I want to. I just like doing it. It's just just a hobby, you know. Well, I mean, the brain um, let go. I mean, the brain is never the brain the, like. The want of the brain is the want. Every human being on the planet has a want in brain. It's not going to naturally let go. If you, if you just look at children born with natural want in brains, every child on the planet. And that's the way it is. Is it is a want. It's going to, and it will convince you, sure, I have this under control. It's not going to say, yeah, you're fucked there, like Jesus Christ. I mean, even when you're saying to me, I'm spending 150 to 200 pounds, I'm cringing. Inside. That's in one. That's in one. That could that could be in like a couple of hours, or you know. That's usually, I usually yeah. I lose my gambling money on the Saturday, you know, and then I'd, I'd usually borrow money off friends to go out on a piss then, and all the and rest the, of it. So madness. And was there ever a, like I know there must have been a stage where you're going right? I I'll give you an example. When I was I started working when I was sixteen, and um, my first week, so I used to work doing petrol pumps at the weekend, and then during the week. I would work fitting tires and exhausts and stuff like that. And so I was kind of working seven days a week, but I'll never forget my first full week that I worked. And I worked all week. And then I went out that Saturday night and I drank it. And I was like, I only earned 64 pounds at the time. Um, But I mean, I drank the whole lot in one night. And it killed me. I got up to like I I I just reflected over the, the week at 16 and I went, I had to work over 40 hours and I got rid of it in, in less than eight. That's and a that, lot of drinking because pints right. back I remember pints being less than two pounds a pint, you know, and back then it would have been even cheaper, wouldn't it? For for a pint. Uh yeah, there would have been a lot of drinking. I come from a long line mm-hmm. of alcoholics, so there's no problem. Um yeah. <laughs> well bread, yeah. I do know I'm Irish. Um, yeah, I, did, I, drank, <laughs> I drank the fucking lot of it. I did drink a lot it's of a it, lot, yeah. And um, like this was over, yeah, one weekend, I suppose a weekend, one night and two nights. Mm. But at the same token, it killed me the fact that I did that. The following week, 
I went out and I bought myself a TV and a VHS video recorder for anyone that's young. You probably don't even know what they are. But I went out the following week and I, I made a commitment the following week that I would never do that again, where I'd actually pay my bills and then I drink. And since that day to this day, that's something that I've never, I was disgusted with. I was disgusted with the amount of work I put in and how quickly that money left me. And like when you're telling me that, like you could gamble 150 quid and I'm just thinking that's 20 hours work. If you're getting three, 300 a, a week, you'd have to work 20 hours and you're getting rid of it in an, in an hour or two or a couple of hours. It's complete madness. And I can't explain, like I can't explain. You just don't, an addict doesn't think about the consequences. You, you don't think about tomorrow. You don't, you know, you just, just literally zoned out, you know, and I actually got, it got so bad really that I, I used to feel calm leaving the bookmakers and I don't know my money. I used to feel like a calmness because I was like, I can't do any more damage now for another week or another month of whatever job I was in. I might have got paid monthly. Mm. I was like, I can't do any more damage, you know, and then it'd be borrow, beg, borrowing, stealing to, to get some money for food, you know, our family and, just, you know, getting by and then you'd be back to the same thing, get your wages, you know, gamble on the piss. And what, what I always done as well, I always made sure, the mad thing, I always made sure I paid my mates back because they were the ones borrowing money to go out on the piss. Yeah. But then my, my poor mother, you know, the amount of money she must have dished out of me over the years, 10 a year, 20 a year, 50 a year, you know, and we, we didn't know what that amounted to, you know, it's just because she never expected it back. She just wanted, you know, she didn't realise as well for a long time really that, I think she knew she was enabling me in a way, you know, she, she must've known, but my father had washed his hands of me by that point for a few years. And she knew that if I didn't get money for food off her, I, I wouldn't have no food. So she was in the, between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And as a mother, she wasn't going to see her son go without food or, you know, she'd help me out with rent as well and whatever it was, bus yeah. fit to get to work and all, you know, money for fuel for the car, you know, I put it through the ringer. So, you know, you can imagine she, she had to bear the brunt of all of it, really. And Absolutely. she's uh, someone, someone who suffered with mental health anyway. But, and I was exasperating that with my day. She was yeah. always worried she's going to get a call one day that I, you know, I'm, I'm, as years went on anyway, it started really going downhill and she thought she'd get a call one day and I bloody topped myself or something, you know, because that's what usually happens. With, that can happen with addicts, can't it? You know, that's the end, that's the end goal. But yeah, still, I, still yeah. breathing. It's it's mental. Like, I I think there's a U two song, and he says the uh, the gambler always the gambler. I can't quote the, the U two song, but it the kind of the phrase is, every gambler knows that basically he's not putting it on to win; it's to lose, just to get that feeling. Like, yeah, it is yeah. chasing that feeling, and like, do you now know? Sorry, where, like, where are you today? Are you? Could you say you're finished gambling so, or still gambling? Yeah. So, I finished. So I came here fourth of June again. Hmm. Done the forty weeks for the third time. It sounds bad, I know. <laughs> That's the way it is. But I've been through this three times in the last five years now. Um, so I had four months off by the time I was leading up to this diagnosis of BPD. Um, hmm. So that would have been. September, so, so let me just count this, June, July, August, September, October, October. So October, it's about six weeks ago, two months ago, wherever it was, 
um, I had been struggling really bad. And uh, I could feel urges of gambling starting to come back, you know, because I, I was literally spending most of my time in bed. I, I was, I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm next door to the rehab in Dudley. I'm, I'm in the recovery house, the halfway house. Yeah. So they, they, they give you phone on, they give, they give me a roof over my head and, and there's a, there's not as much classes to attend as over the rehab, but you get you get the odd one to one with a support worker now once a week and you get the odd group, group class. But I totally withdrawn, started withdrawing two months ago. I didn't want to speak to anyone. And then I got the BPD diagnosis off the back of that because I was having suicidal thoughts every day. Um, and when I got the diagnosis, yeah, about a week or two after that, so only a few weeks ago, I, I started gambling again. Um, so... And the way I've been feeling is like I don't even care, you know. Like oh, this BPD mm. diagnosis hit me. It was it was a good thing in a way because I, I thought, well, I didn't know there was a name for this. I just thought I was a cunt, you know. I really did. I just I didn't know there's lots of people like out there like me that have these same traits and behaviours because the the symptoms are very specific and I can relate to all of them with BPD, yeah. you know. So on the one hand, it's comforting to know that there is there is an explanation for this. But I kind of used that. I, I kind of felt it was a life sentence. I, I was looking into this BPD, looking at people's Twitter updates. They're horrendous. People want to kill themselves. And, Jesus. You know, like, uh, there's a lot of negativity on that Twitter, but I can relate to all those tweets, you know, but actually yeah. seeing it in, before my eyes, people speaking so openly about it to all these strangers, was I, so I had to get off Twitter for a while. And then I, I ended up gambling. And I kind of use it as an excuse. Well, my life's fucked now. I, I didn't want to live anyway before the diagnosis. I certainly didn't want to live after it. So well, I thought I got nothing to unreal. lose. Yeah, the brain is unreal. It'll do anything to get back to gambling. Ash, I, needed a, I, I needed to pick me up. So I was I was completely on the floor and I still am really. I mean, I spoke to you for two hours yesterday. I'll be honest, that really gave me a lift because I, I started to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel again. I mean, I couldn't have done this a few weeks ago because I, I was just crushed. But um. Mm. Hopefully I'm on, on on back on back on getting back on track. But I gambled um, again last Friday, and um, yeah, it's, it's not not good. But no, no, I'm no, not, no. I'm not I'm not unnerved by the relapse because the gambling is not the fucking problem here. It's this it's all the shit underneath it. This BPD, this these behaviours and thought thoughts in my mind. That's what's driving me to do it. So I, I it totally makes sense that I've gambled. So I'm hmm. not. I'm not worried going forward because I, I believe I can turn this around quickly this time. I haven't got to go back into a full-blown relapse for months and months. And I've got a lot of support around me still. So I, I've, you know, I can give my bank card into the support workers and stuff. There's, there's things I can do to restrict my access to money. So I will get back on track. It's just this BPD is, is something that, you know, I need to probably get my head around. Well, I mean, well, I remember when I got my diagnosis of BPD, I thought I did ADHD, but when I got the diagnosis, it's not an easy diagnosis to get because you're looking at this thing kind of going, how am I ever going to live a normal life? That's what I thought. How am I going to live a normal everyday life? And I was told there's certain things you'll never be able to do. And thankfully, I can do them. Because I was like, fuck that. There's no way. Am I... I I'm a firm believer in this, right? I had the creme de la creme of a shitty childhood, right? Creme de la creme. I love my parents to bits, but unfortunately they were like fruit and fucking nut. 
And I don't mind that. I don't blame my parents for how I turned out. The way I look at it is that's my payment to life. I'm alive. It's fucking great. However, I want a really, really good life in my second half, which I'm in at the moment. So I don't mind my first half being shit. That's a payment to God yeah. or the universe. Take a deuce. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's fucking four... 400 trillion people that weren't born because I was. Um, and that's fine. I accept that payment. So I can definitely tell you, it does get better if you work at it, right? But I wouldn't, and it's easy for me to say this, uh, you know, you're talking 2009, 2000, and, you know, 20, we're coming into 2022. Uh, realistically, you know, 13 years on, Whereas you're only a few weeks in, you know, it's very easy for me to say this today, but I can definitely tell you this. Uh, number one, if you gamble, don't give a fuck about it. And that's, and that's where I'm at right now, which is different to how I felt in the past, which I think is a good thing. It's, it's a, a brilliant thing. Yeah, yeah, it is, I think. Like, I'm a firm believer in this. I'm a highly violent person, right? Extremely violent person. And I say it constantly because I have to make sure and mind that little bastard of a mind that I have. And I make sure I never deny that part of myself. Because if I go around going, I'm a really genuine, nice, kind, caring human being, that's kind of the time when I'm going to fucking attack somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm hiding this version of myself away from me. Whereas I always say I'm highly violent. The reason I say I'm highly violent is because a lion is a lion and a crocodile is a crocodile, and that's their nature. It's my nature to be highly violent. That's nothing got to do with my background. That's zero. Because there's eight of us in it, and there's, I can tell you now, I've never thought of this, um, there's one, two, three... Four, five, six of us. Sorry, six of them. Because <laughs> I'm not in the gang. There's six of them that aren't highly violent in our family. Who came from a highly violent background. So how the fuck did that happen? How the fuck did six of my siblings become non-violent human beings? Because it's in my nature to be violent. And then my environment helped that along. That's all that yes. happened. If I was nature in a, and nurture. Of course, if I was in a, if I was in a, if I was in an extremely supportive, kind and caring type of background, I'd be a highly violent person. But the chances of me being highly violent would be minimized. It doesn't mean my fucking nature wouldn't be there. So the point I'm trying to make to you is, when I own who I am, I'm less violent. Absolutely. If you and here's what I'm trying to say to you is this if you do something, own it. Yeah, yeah. Now, and I mean this respectfully, because I'd say this to a woman, and I mean it, uh, you know, I'm from Ireland, so we have our own phrase. You know, you know what I'm gonna say. Grow a pair of balls and yeah. own it. Like literally, yeah. if you put a tenor on a fucking horse, I'm putting a tenor on the horse, I'm deciding to put a tenor on the horse, that's my decision. Put it on, the horse fucking wins or loses, you go, that's fair enough. 
I decided to do that. But if you're there itching and scratching and going, oh, jeez, I have to do, oh, fucking, oh, and oh, God, oh, and, and you're trying to resist, you're never not going to be um, gambling on horses. I wouldn't even name, you know, you know, like I can't, I'm a gambler. You're not a gambler. You're a person who gambles. Mm. You know yeah, I, mean? I don't want to. I don't want to be defined by this. And that was my you know word I mean? going it's, to rehab and sure fucking, kind of, you know. Oh, no, you can't. Yeah, and the wording is. You have to word it like when I say I'm a highly violent person. That's the truth. I'm a highly violent person. You, I'm a person who's highly violent. I'm a person first. You're a person who gambles. You're a person first. Mm. You're not a gambler. A gambler just kind of wipes away the human being. You're a person. Yeah. Like, I think I, I, the reason why, I, the way I kind of think of the gambling now, I know BPD and I know mm. yourself from seeing a few of your podcasts, there's a lot of self-harming, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that with BPD, it seems, yeah? That's what, what I've discovered. Now, I've never done that. I've never attempted to take my own life, but I've thought about it incessantly a lot throughout my adult life on and off, you know, what I would do and how I would do it and all the rest of it. But the gambling, it seems to be like, that's my form of self-harm. That's, yeah. that's me telling me you're a cunt. You deserve nothing. You're worth this piece of shit, you know, mm. because that's how I, if I go, if I want to go deep enough, that's how I feel about myself. You're a loser. You're a waste man, you know. And, and this is what I deserve. So it's, it's, it's like I'm beating myself up with the gambling. because yeah. and, and it's also, like you say, it's a pressure relief valve because, you know, I, I you hold in all this crapping. I'm not, I wasn't willing to really open up to people for the last two months, really, and just holding it inside, suffering in silence, suffering alone in isolation, not speaking to people. It's just it's going to come out some way, isn't it? You know, I, I suppose it's better to come out in the gambling sense than me hanging myself, you know? <laughs> Because yeah. it could 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 get to that, you know. This is my way of relieving whatever I feel. But obviously, I don't want to keep doing this. It's not. Uh, I'm not trying to justify it, but um, it's just messed up, isn't it? You know. And instead of gambling, what would you do? Like, if you ha- like, I, I like exercise. You know, I, I I like I like when I go for a run. When I was running up until two months ago, I joined the gym. I was going to the gym for a few weeks, and it all just fell apart because. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think what's triggered this, but I think I think I was just lost. You know, I was over. Mm. You had a lot of routine and structure in that rehab next door. You know, everything's the day is laid out for you. You've got activities on the Saturday. You all go out as a group. You, it's a good social over here. There's not that many guys over here. A lot of them move on quickly back home to their families and wherever else. And you just kind of feel that loneliness again. You know, which I've always I felt that's the loneliness is kind of the key of the key to the issue really. But I just felt like where's my life going and. I, I, I started a college course in September. It was just a, meant to be a six-week course, <laughs> mentoring, ironically, a mentoring course because I had plans to do a counselling course in January, February. I went to that course. I went to one lesson. And I was just anxiety, man. All these, there was 12 other people on my course. They all knew each other. They were from an organisation that put them on this course. It was just it's only one day a week course. And because of the way I felt, I didn't go back again. And I beat myself up about that. And I had to email the, the college tutor say, I can't do it. You know, I'm struggling with my mental health. And that means now I'm not going to do a counselling course in January, which in hindsight, I'm not, I'm not mentally in the frame of mind to be doing that anyway. So I just feel completely broken. I feel like I'm 33. Things are getting worse, not better. And I keep fucking up and beating myself up again. And that's where the, 
locking myself away in this room and not only going out to get some shopping and stuff. And I stopped the running because I just no motivation. What's the fucking point? Fuck everything. You know, fear stands for fuck everything and run. And with the anxiety, the fight or flight response, I wrote, I've become accustomed to taking a flight response. I run, you know, I hide. And, and, and this is what with the college and everything is, it's the fear in it, you know, the fear of being judged, feeling inferior to everyone around you. Feel like people are talking about you, getting back, laughing about you, but they're not. It's all in your fucking mind, you know, it's madness. And this consumes me so much that I, oh, there's no wonder that I haven't got motivation to do this and that. And, but I know when I have got the motivation, I was going running, I felt great. I felt, you know, like that set me up for the day. I was eating healthier. And yeah, it just made it all just falls apart in, 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 a, in a flick of a finger, click of a finger. It just, it, 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 it's like I can't handle things going wrong. If some one thing goes wrong, it's like a domino effect. Every fucking thing, I can't deal with it. And, mm. and I understand the emotional and stable, that, that makes total sense because that, that's what it's, I am emotionally unstable. I'm not, you know, it's not nice to say that, but, you know, I'm not, I, I can't deal my emotions very well. I can't deal with things when they don't go my way. Um, when you I said throw things, my toys at the pram, you know? You said things are, are you're right, so... You know, if you're going to use the analogy of using dominoes, right? When when something goes wrong in dominoes, yeah, everything will fall. However, if you line up them dom dominoes, and what I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use your analogy. If you line up your dominoes in a way that, yes, if something falls, you can set up dominoes that if, if you make a mistake, you can set them up in such a way that if you make a mistake, only a certain amount will fall. And then when you're nearly finished completion, yes, you can add in the ones that you separated just in case you made a mistake to complete your dominoes. And I think with yourself, it's just a lack of planning. In other words, I'll give you an example. If I fuck up in work, years ago, if I fuck up in work, I go home and I cry. I put my head in the pillow and I cry. But like, I'm a useless bastard. I can't handle this. This is fucking a nightmare. And then I go back into work the next day and try again. And I'd fuck up again. And it was a nightmare. <clears throat> but that interfered with my whole life. So then my relationship was shit. Everything. Because I couldn't, just like you, I couldn't set my life up, right? And I had to learn how to literally, as you just said, dominoes. I had to learn to go, right, this is work. If something fucks up here, of course I'm going to be upset. But then what I'm going to do is to set up something. So when I go home, I'll have something. I'll give you an example. If I fuck up a job in work, I'll go home and watch a comedy. And that's my taking away a couple of dominoes so that home doesn't get fucked up. So if I fuck up in work, I will literally go home, put on YouTube, you know, put on a stand up comedy, watch that, have a laugh and alter my humor. Because I know regulating my own humor is not as easy because I fucking BPD. But that's me minding myself then at home. Um, I'll text my wife and go, look, you know, really fucking shitty day in work. Uh, I'm not able. Now, that's rare today. Today, it's fucking rare. But I'm on about when I was in recovery. 
And this is what I'm on about is, is it's not that you're a fuck up. It's literally you don't know how to manage the brain you were given. But if you start planning, you know, when you get the urge, when I give up drinking, I literally sat with myself and said, right, you're not drinking again because you fucking slit your wrist to the bone. You can't be at that shit. You just, it's too mental. Your fucking hand is deformed. Mental, right? You can't be at that shit. I bet you're trying to have a look at the hand. There it is. <laughs> Don't do this at home. I did. It didn't work. But you can't, right? But then I started planning my life. I started really fucking planning my life going, right, you can't drink because that's the end of the road for you. And I've never drank since 2009. But I did ask my brain, what do you want instead of drink? Now, for me, this is going to sound mental. It doesn't sound mental to me. I sat down and said, you're not drinking anymore. What do you want? Because I know the brain is a wanting brain. And my brain just went popcorn. Right? My brain just went popcorn. I said, fine. Every time you want to drink, I'll buy popcorn. I ate a lot of popcorn. Every time I got angry, every time I, 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 I got enraged, I used to go into the cinema and just buy popcorn and leave again. And like, I'm not going to lie, there was a few times over the course over the years, there was a few times I think I came close to drinking twice over them years. And for me to go drinking means I'm dead. Like, if I go drinking, that's the end of me. Because um, I would fucking drink and then I'd kill myself. And I think I came close to drinking twice in that 12 years where it was really fucking bad for me. But because I had a plan, I went in and got the popcorn I bought two big boxes of popcorn. You're eating them bad boys. It's very hard to finish off two large popcorn. But I did. I'm not saying you can have popcorn. What I'm trying to say to you is you're trying to fight something that you can't win, right? It's like you getting into the ring with fucking Conor McGregor, right? You know, you're going to fight somebody that you're not going to win against. But instead of getting into the ring, you're going to have to plan it and go, you're trying to basically wrestle something that can't, I can't wrestle my brain. I am extremely strong with BPD, extremely. And I'm proud to say that. But even I don't wrestle my brain. I don't, I don't tackle my brain. I don't try and win. I don't try and will my brain to stop because I know I won't win. You're setting yourself up for a massive loss each time. And your brain the clever little fucker that it is sets you up to do that because it knows the house all is wins, right? It knows you're going to lose. So it actually sets you up. This time I'm really determined and I've done all my training and I have all my, and your brain is in the background going, you keep going there, soldier. I know exactly what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to get you so far and then I'm going to fucking hit you with a jab. And then I'm going to hit you under the chin and you'll be knocked out and you'll be gambling again because that's what I want. But I'm going to let you pretend you have me up against the ropes. That's what the brain does. Yeah, this, this, this is always how I term it. Like, I'll take, there's been many times in my life where I've given up, but I'll always come back fighting eventually because I'm mm. so much you can take. 
And it's like going to the rehab the first time, you know, it's whatever. I take five steps forward and fucking 20 steps back. You know, it's, yeah. that's how it feels like. And it feels like I'm pissing in the wind, to say the least. And I think the biggest problem I've got over the years, I've pushed everyone close to me away. I've pushed, I've, mm. I've gone to the extremes of fucking changing my number and not telling people, like old work colleagues and stuff. I haven't spoken to them in years now. You know, they're probably worried about me. Just totally unreasonable and rational behaviors like that. And and you alienate people with those behaviors. And, you know, I, I, I deleted Facebook and Instagram, which was actually a good thing. But I suppose the idea around it was I didn't want to be seen in this state. I didn't want people asking me questions. I didn't want people, oh, what, what are you up to now? Oh, I'm just fucking, I'm back in rehab again, you know, or, I'm, you know. I didn't want to, I don't want to go there with people. And the same with my own family now. My, my own family have stopped kind of getting in contact because sometimes I'll just blank them. Sometimes I'll, they'll ask how you're doing. I'll just say, I'm okay, I'm not, you know. And sometimes mm. I'll give a bit more information depending on how I feel I'm not doing okay. And then they'll message back. And then I'll, I'll just be like, I just, just want to be left alone just leave me to it you know so i've gone into this pattern of behavior and stuff just not allowing people in not you know i've pushed all my friendships away i don't have a social life i'm a complete loner now you know i am for the last few years Uh, and if you haven't got those meaningful relationships in your life then i i I just think if i if i can't sort that out then there is no point in being here because like what's life if you haven't got no fucking meaningful you know you've got maslow's hierarchy of needs and stuff you need you need that to function you need love you need fucking human yeah. touch and I've, i'm depriving myself of my basic needs with and i'm with my stubbornness my fucking self-pity i don't know man it's, it's just maddening it's fucking maddening like i just you feel like you're cracking up sometimes and when you isolate yourself what are you gonna because you're not you're not having these fucking conversations and mm. And it feels like anytime I will have a conversation with family or something, it's always fucking doom and gloom now because like, what oh, how, what have you been up to, you know? But my life's been a fucking car crash. So there's not, there don't seem to be a lot of positive things to talk about. And I, I, am, I stopped playing football, you know, and mm. I don't know anyone in this area now. I, I, I don't want to move back home. I'm in West Bidders. I don't really know anyone. And it's just, I don't know how, I don't have the confidence to meet new people, to join a new football team around here and just, I've reached out to a few people on Twitter and I'm thinking maybe it'd be an idea to try and connect, see if a few of these people are in my area and connect with them because I I feel completely inferior around a lot of people, but except people with a gambling addiction, I'm sure people with BPD, I'd feel at ease around these people because I, 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 I won't feel judged anymore. I, I feel relatable. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And at the moment, I just feel like completely lost in this world. Like I've, you know, I don't know where I don't know where home is anymore. I don't even think of home as home anymore. I just don't know where I belong. Where do I belong? And I'm just completely lost. I'm completely lonely. There, there is family still there that, that want to help, you know. But you know, my mother and my stepfather they text me today, asking me to go on for Christmas. I really Christmas has always been a difficult time because of the lifestyle I live, and it's always people want to be happy. Christmas is meant to be a happy time, you know, and family time and the amount of Christmases I've missed uh, through through my own choice, really, not what I, I couldn't be around that. I, I can't, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I can't just draw a smile on my face and just forget about things. It consumes me. So, the, like, now I, I don't plan on going back home for Christmas, you know. I'm, I'm, I know my mother's gutted, my stepfather, he's disappointed in me as well. And, and it is selfish in a way, but at the same time, I think if I go back home and miserable, 
that's caused arguments in the past as well. I'd rather not have that stress and anxiety mm. of being in this around some family and that. And it's just like I'm on I'm on fucking edge all the time. I can't even be myself around my own family anymore. The last few visits I've had, I, I had to leave early. Like I planned to stay for a few days. I left after a day because my anxiety just through the roof. That's around and, my own family, you know. Worse, it, it, right? It's a week. It's a week to Christmas. You know, why not try exercising, eating well for the week? It's one week, and see how you feel coming up to Christmas. I mean, because right, you know. When you're all going home and you don't want to be miserable and you don't want to fuck up their Christmas, your mother's going to be miserable because you're not there. Yeah, this, is the, this is the this is the catch twenty two yeah. that I find myself in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is going to be miserable because you're not there. So I mean, you're not going to save her on any misery because you're not there. She's going to have a shit Christmas. So, I mean, again, you could, you know, try and. Go for a jog and build your endorphins and all that sort of stuff and eat healthy and drink water and all the stuff people should do because that will naturally lift you. Look, you're trying to fight a part of your brain that is an extremely hard thing to fight because of uh, the want that it wants to do because of that release. And, you know, you haven't figured out yet how to give it something else. You know, I want to gamble equals you have to figure that bit out. You know, like I want to hit people, right? But no, me wanting to hit people is obviously something I can't do. So me wanting to hit people equals I work like a bastard. I'm an extremely hard worker. I only finished up there today and I got my yearly report 106% in the last, you know, uh, you know, monthly stuff. But for the review, I work hard. I work hard. Because I use exactly what I have and I channel it into that. You're looking at your whole life as if somehow it has to happen within a couple of weeks and you're looking at yourself as a failure. Mm. It doesn't work that way. If you were to ask me in 2009, where do you see yourself in 10 years time or 12 years time? There's no way would I say fucking talking on a podcast or three children. There's no way I would have said on my own, away from everybody, because fuck everybody. I didn't expect to be here. Um, I'll have a chat with God about that when I see him. Um, miserable bastard wouldn't take me up there. Because um, I fucking slagged his son. I keep saying it, and it's the truth. I was up in heaven, and I slagged his son, and he still is fucking sore over, just because I said he's holes in his hands. But either way, when I was in the darkest of my moments... There's no way could I tell you today this is what I'd be doing, that I'd be chatting to fucking a lad in, in Wales. You just don't know. But I worked hard. And I failed hard. And as I said to you last night, when we were chatting, I will, I'm prepared. You see, the difference, I'm not saying the difference between me and you, but I am. I am saying this, right? The difference is this. When you get knocked down, get back up. Don't lie down there. Get up so you can be knocked down again and get up again. Because what I learned in life is this. It's not the fucking getting back up. or It's not the, it's not the down on the ground. 
every time I got back up, it gave me a quicker chance of failing again. Not succeeding. Which meant I failed more times than most people. That's why I became a success. I have failed thousands of times. And to fail, you have to get back up again really quickly. Because when you're lying down there, feeling sorry for yourself, you're not succeeding. The success for me was getting back up. And trust me, I was, <laughs> I was back down within a couple of seconds. <clears throat> but I got back up again. And the analogy I'll use is, you know, like the Avengers there, Captain America, where the shit was being kicked out of him. And he said, I could do this all day. I was prepared and I did. I got back up again and I got knocked down. And I know that fucking song is in my head now. You know, I get knocked down, but I get up again. I fucking hate the fact that that song's in my head now. But at the same token, I did. I literally got up again and I was so quickly knocked back down. And it fucking hurt. And I got right back up again. And I mean, like, it's unnatural the amount of failing I've done in my life. I can't remember most of it because I've done so much of it. A useless, worthless bastard is what I was. So it's like the more you fail, every failure is like you're closer to success. I am unnatural at painting right I am because I failed more times than the average painter I can tell you I can walk in and this is you see this isn't me being cocky this is I'm telling you the truth I can walk into a person spraying a spray job look at the spray job if, if they've made a mistake I meant oh, yeah yeah you done that with the gun and you done this with it and you done that and you done this and you done that and they'd be like how the fuck did you know that because I fucked it up too mm-hmm. but I wouldn't know that unless I fucked it up and like over the years people would be like how did you know that I don't have divine wisdom I'm a fucking legend at making mistakes I've made the mistake then I learned, like, I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, brought the car over. I'm on my own, brought the car over. Oh, fuck, you're after making a mistake. I said, give it back to me, give it back to me. I was back over within 40 minutes. And they said, I didn't expect you for two hours. How did you do with that quick? And my reply was, that wasn't my first rodeo I'd fucking that one up. Because I'd fucked up this particular style of a paint job so much, I mastered it down to 40 minutes when it should take over two hours. That's brilliant. But if I didn't fuck it up so much, it would have been two hours, and that job would have been late going to the customer, which meant I would have gotten in trouble. But because I fucked it up so much, I was able to rectify it without any hassle. That's my point. What you're doing is you're lying down there going, fuck it, I hate life, this is shit. Get back up and get knocked down again. And then just stand. You know, I've been chatting to you last night and I said to you, you remind me of my son, which means you have a high level of stubbornness. Why don't you use that stubbornness to stand back up again? Mm. You're lying down with your stubbornness. You're lying down going, fuck life, this is too much. I'm going to be stubborn on the ground. I'm just saying to you, get back up. 
get hit by life again, get back up again. It's you can you can use your stubbornness to lie down forever, or you can use your stubbornness to stand back up, look at life into the face and say, Fuck you. And I'm yeah, ready you, you, and get hit so down you, again. You're hundred percent right. Yeah, you are hundred percent right. Just lost my way. I I know I'll snap out of this. Like this conversation is massively helping, giving me a perspective. I need I need I need that you know at the moment because I've just totally gone gone down. Um, all logic and whatever else has gone out the window really because I've I've allowed it to with my just my yeah. behaviour, my thoughts, and just I'm, it is self pity. I think there's a lot of feeling sorry. It is a lot of feeling sorry for myself. It is. I, I believe there's a lot of that. You're hitting the nail can't, on the can't, can't just say depression, anxiety. Mm. It's not just that. I, just, I can do something about it and I'm not, I haven't been doing, I haven't been working hard enough, you know, I mean, put, you know, what, what, you, you get out what you put in and I obviously I haven't, um, I haven't tried out. I've just defeat this really. You know. Yeah. You're having a- Yeah. In the You're past, having- it wasn't yeah. like this. I usually, I would, it seems like, I've allowed it over the years to just gradually get worse and worse. Like as in just mm. beaten to a pulp because I'm on my mind. I'm, I'm choosing to feel that way, you know, like, Oh fuck, yeah. how many times do I have to go through this to, Jesus to fucking, Christ. you know, you know how many times, Jesus, I mean, the amount of times I fucked up through drinking, you know, genuinely fucked up through drinking. Um, you know, since like I started drinking when I was 16 and I stopped drinking at 31 when I done my wrist in. Um, you know, what's that? 15 years of drinking by Jesus. Quite a lot of like, you know, quite a lot of times I fucked up through that, like quite a lot. And I yeah. mean, I never got it right. I never got it right. Um, and generally... You don't until something severe happens, generally. You know, we do have to crash. But, I mean, you're at your lowest ebb at the moment. Yeah. Which means yeah, you, yeah. Which means you can only go upwards, like, which is good. And I know it's yeah. a clear yeah. No, I, I get that as well. That's why I feel like the gambling that is like, well, I need to hit the rock bottom to start fucking coming up again. And that's just part of it, unfortunately. <laughs> With the gambling, you know... I, I'm again. I'm that's, not gonna... that's not even. It's not even on my mind. But oh. you know, because I I understand why it's happened. It's it's like you said. I'm not helping myself. I'm isolating myself and all the rest of it. It's gonna. It's gonna. I understand why I've done that. It's not. It's not really on my periphery. This. I just yeah. need to get myself out of this hole. You know. Look, one thing I've learned. Not one thing I've learned. You gamble because you want to gamble. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'll give you a story. I remember years ago, I was in a counselor, and uh, he said to me, as I said, I was a bastard, you know, in me day. You know, thankfully, I'm more of a gentleman, and I hate saying that, but I am. The only reason I said, right, I'm going to clear this out. The only reason I fucking hate gentlemen is this. When my father died, Everyone called him a gentleman. And I fucked my head up. Because he wasn't. And I was like, what the fuck? How the fuck do you know him as a gentleman? And I know him as, a, as the man I knew. 
And, that, and that's why I hate the word gentleman. So I'm going to clear that out. But I am more of a gentleman these days. A spade being a spade. But um, I'm kind of losing my train of thought there because that fucking whole thing. But you kind of have to accept who you are. Yeah, I was in the counsellor. And he says to me, how did you end up the way you are? Or why? No, he says to me, why do you think your parents treated you the way they treated you? Right. And I started telling him, he goes, no, I want you to go home and I want you to write it out for me, your mother and your father. And I want you to come back next week and present it to me. And I came back next week and I had a big fucking list of my mother's life and my father's life. And like they had very traumatic childhoods, both of them. And I know I know both of my parents' childhoods. It's very traumatic. And I wrote out this big, you know, story about both of my parents and I gave it to him. I'll never forget this. And he read them. And when he was finished reading what I you know, wrote out about my parents. He got and he ripped it up and he threw it in the fucking bin. And he looked at me. And I said, why, why, what are you doing? And he says, why, what, are you, what, what do you mean? I says, you asked me to do this and then you read it and you, tr- you rip it up and put it in the bin. Yeah, he says, I asked you, why did your parents treat you the way they treated you? And you wrote me all this bullshit. I says, what do you mean? He says, your parents treated you the way they treated you because that's the choice they made. And that fucked my head. He says, what do you mean? No, my parents treated me the way they treated me because the childhood they had. No, he says, your parents treated you the way they treated you because that's a choice they made. And he says, why are you saying this? You don't want to be like your father, he said. And I says, no. You're after basically excusing your father's choices in life with his childhood and giving permission for everything he did because of his childhood. If you think your father had no choice, what difference will you have in life? If you, and you tell me, which I did back then, this was 2004. If you're telling me you're a highly violent person, well, sure, haven't you the same excuse to use then as your father did? You had a bad life. You had a shitty childhood. He says, it's a choice. And if you can't accept it as a choice, you're going to blame your parents. And that gives you the option to become your father. He says, at all given time, nobody's taken away your free will, Sean. Nobody has a gun to your head saying, do this, do that. He said, let me put it another way to you. If there was a gun to your head, would you do the things you do? I said, no. Well, he says, then it's a choice. Because then he says, clearly, you're not mental in the head. Because obviously, he says, if you are, you just do it. Knowing too well, you'd be shot in the head. Then there's something wrong with you. But he says, clearly, it's a choice. At no stage, he says, is your free will taken away. Plus, as well, he says, if you're going to blame your parents childhood for how they treated you you can also use your childhood to excuse your actions and it's it's true he says it's a choice and that blew me away because 
I spent a fucking lot of time writing them two fucking letters about my parents, which was in my mind true. And when he ripped them up, he knew what he was doing. I didn't. But it was profound in its own way where he said, no, it's a choice. It's your choice. It's your life. Because many, many people, and since then I've proven him to be more correct. I've looked up people who've had horrific lives, genuine, lovely human beings. Um, and you're there going, how did you end up like this? Because they choose to. They made the choice to went, fuck this. I'm making a choice to break the chain of bullshit that I came from. I'm sacrificing so much for this gig. And I'm willing to sacrifice fucking everything. I mean, I've given up drinking, drugs. I didn't gamble. Um, drinking, drugs, smoking, fucking sweets, takeaways, fat, you know, fast food, as it's called. Um, I'm eating just clean food. I'm going to, I'm, I've given up going to bed late at night. The amount I've given up for this gig. But I'm determined that it ends with me. My children will have a life that they can decide how to live their life. Not in a violent background. In order for me to give them that, I have to give up so much. But fuck it, I'm willing to do it. Because that's my choice. I could go out tonight and have a couple of... Well, I can't. I'm not vaccinated. You're right, though. Uh, the, the trauma can pass down the generations as well. So <clears throat> there, is, there is something to be said about genetics with mental health issues, but I think it's nature and nurture in it. And, and like, like my mother, my mother, she suffered with depression for as long as I can remember. Mm. My father was very emotionally cold as well. And um, the dynamics of my childhood, I had a good upbringing, never went without. My parents split before I was born. That was never an issue. Mm. As I get a bit older, you know, I was an only child. So all my mates growing up, all my best friends growing up, uh, they all had a brother or sister. So I definitely felt like the odd one out there. And I yeah. always longed to, I always wished I had a, well, they had, I, had, I wish I had a brother or sister, you know, growing up. Um, so... But yeah, I was quite spoiled. And then my half-brother came along when I was nine from my dad. So my dad's got my stepmother. Um, so my first half-sibling, if you like, came along when I was nine. And then I had um, a sister then a few years after that, and then another sister, and then a brother from my mother's side. She had a child with my stepdad as well. Yeah. So, But I think things started to change when I was nine. And I began to feel really kind of lonely. I, I was sharing my time with my mums and my dads. I'd miss things with that side of the family. I'd miss out on things with that side because I was down there. One Christmas here, one Christmas there. Just, you know, and, and obviously, it, it, I just felt, yeah, I just felt a little bit left out at times, you know, without my family not meaning for me to feel that way. That's just how I felt. It's not their, not their fault. Um, I wasn't the centre of attention anymore. My, my father had young kids to, to bring up and my mother eventually had, had my brother as well when I was 15. And um, I, I think looking back, I had a hard time dealing with that. You know, I just felt like I was neither here nor there, disconnected from family. Um, and my father, you know, he had a lot of trauma in his childhood because I'm named after his 
older brother. He, he was the youngest. My dad of my dad was the youngest of five or six kids, mm. and the ne- and the next one up above him was his brother. And his brother um, basically was found hanging in the family home. Don't want to get too graphic. Obviously, it's not nice to say it, but and my dad was only nine at that point. And, and my brother, my, my uncle, sorry, who passed away, he must have only been about 13, 14 years old at that time. Nice. And then when my, dad, when my dad was 15, his father passed away. The last words he had with him was an argument, so he never got to heal that rift before his dad passed away. And then a year after that, his mother, my, grand, my grandmother, I, I never met any of them, obviously. Um, she passed away from a heart attack uh, when she was uh, in Rome doing a pilgrimage, a Catholic pilgrimage. So a bit of irony there as well. Mm. But um, so yeah, my dad, my dad had it from all angles, you know. Uh, so he went through a lot of shit. And then when I went to that rehab the first time, 2016, I went there thinking I've just got a gambling problem. Didn't even really, didn't even know I had anxiety at that point. I thought it was just depression. But when I after that education, I realised it's probably more anxiety and depression that I had, you know, from from the start. So I, you know, I was only, I was 27 before I realized I had anxiety, but um, but yeah, it made me rethink my relationship with my dad because I, I had a lot of resentment and bitterness towards him, but I was totally, totally wrong to have that really in hindsight. Um, I, obviously, I, they they challenged me to put myself in my dad's shoes, and he did have a lot of lot of trauma and stuff, and he was hard on me. And we had a conversation yesterday, yeah, about your situation with your children and parenting styles and all the rest of it, and it really gave me a new perspective because. Like my dad was hard on me, and how I would always were emotionally cold. But he was, it was, it was a lot of tough love. He was from the old school, so they do things a different kind of way. He probably seen that I was a sensitive child, a bit soft, and he wanted to toughen me up. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't realize that I, I was more of a child that needed armor on the shoulder, not not to be told off, and you should have done this, you should have done that, and just you know felt like he was on my case quite a lot, you know. But he he was only doing the best that he could do, and he like I said he was only. 19 when he had me and my mum was 18 so there's no there's no kind of manual to bring kids up anyway but at that age as you said yesterday they're just children themselves aren't they you know so I wish I wish I had this knowledge now when I was a child because I had all this emotion swirling around and I was I, I was constantly trying to please my father and, and gain his approval and all the rest of it I never felt like I got that you know and um it became. It got to a stage where I was down my dad's on the weekends, and I would try my best not to have a conversation with him because I was like scared of saying something stupid because mm. he'd be all over it. Or I just I was on eggshells around my father basically constantly. I, I, I it was a fear there, you know, like fear yeah. of his his opinion. If he, he only had to say a few words to just cut right through me, and I learned yeah. early on not to show any emotion in front of him, so I never showed any weakness in front of him. And then when I go back to my mother's, sometimes I'd be in tears. Very rare that was, but it, it did happen. But other times I, I would like play up for my mother, rotten. I would play up for her. I would do everything my dad said. I wouldn't say boot goose on my dad. So mm. fall in line straight away. My mother's, I was completely opposite. I was like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of character. I, I, I realized looking back, I think that there were so many times I wanted to stand up to my dad or as I've seen at the time, stand up to him and say, I, I disagree with what you're saying stop having to go at me or whatever it was. And I never did. Never had the courage to do that, stand up to him, if you like. And then I realised, looking back, I think I was taking out all that frustration out of my mother, you know, because she yeah. was like an emotional punch bag. That was the dynamic of me growing up. So my dad my dad didn't really 
know he was upset at me because I hit it so well. Yeah, and I, I always, yeah. I always begged my mother if he had upset me, my mother would kind of get wind of it. I know mm. my mother would say, "I'm going to ring him and give him." I say, "Don't ring him." I was literally on my hands and knees, "Don't ring my dad," and she never did, you know, and and because I, I didn't want him to see that weak side of me, you know. So I don't know, but I wish as a kid you don't know. You don't know all these emotions, what they're all about and stuff. I wish I had the knowledge I have now as a child because I would have been able to deal with it. I would have understood what he was doing. Like, you know, he, he's, he's yeah. just tough love and he, he's just doing what he thinks is going to stand me in good stead when I grew up and toughen me up. But unfortunately, a lot of it, it had the opposite effect and I held on to a lot of that. So my trauma is a lot different to yours. Yeah. But it was still traumatic for me thinking back that, just those I, I wasn't able to I wasn't I, I was introverted I, I, I was shy and I started to withdraw and stuff and I didn't know what was going on you know and, and now I know that obviously this BPD uh, accounts for a lot of it um, but I, I wish I had that knowledge back then to deal with things but you don't as a child uh, so no you don't and you like and again this is only my opinion if I knew what I know today I'd have two hands yeah yeah yeah. That's the truth. If I knew yeah, yeah. today, I'd have two hands, but I don't, and that's just life. And and again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> like being knighted, look, you you only can know what you know. And yeah, like, exactly. You know, as I, I would have done, like I said, you. I'm sure you would have done things a lot differently. Everyone, if they if they if they said oh, I could have a time machine, would you cha- yeah, I would, I would change? No, yeah, no, change a lot of things. But yeah, you you don't look. I'm going to be honest. If I had to, if I had to relive my life. And go back, I would change nothing. Yeah, nothing. But you, you're at you're at a place. I understand why you say that because you're at a place mm. of you know calm and yeah. I'm not there yet. So yeah. maybe hopefully I get to your place one day. I, yeah. I could say the same because everything for a reason. I believe in fate, and but mm. at this moment in time, I just think, oh fuck, I've, no, no. I've lost okay. it. so many years and stuff, yeah. and it could have been so different if I'd seen it from my parents perspective more and not the selfish aspect of it and I would have done things I would have withdrawn and isolated myself from the family yeah, I wouldn't have missed birthdays Christmases and you know right but wait, like, I'll put this to you you're not dead this isn't a podcast. I know I know I know this yeah. a podcast from heaven um you're not dead like so I mean Christmas is a week away you can literally start you can you can go and have, like, I'll be honest with you, and I, I, I'm going to say this even though, no, I'm just going to say it, right? I can't, like, if I, my father's dead 15 years, right? I would love to have a conversation with him as the man I am today and have a chat with him as the man I am. And 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 understand my father, in a sense of, as a mature man myself, looking at this man who's severely damaged, and look at his life. I don't blame my parents for how my life turned out, but I don't get that chance. You do. You have that chance, and I don't think about these things because I don't look back. I'm a very much get on with a type of person. And the only reason I'm saying this to you is not because of any 
strong emotion because even though I'm saying this, my heart is 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 hurting as I'm saying it to you because I'm reflecting. You know, if my father was alive, I'd love my father would love my children. You know, because there's yeah, the like yeah. being wild. At the same token, he's not here and he's dead, and that's just life. But I'd love to talk. I would love to go for a pint now with my father. My father would love to see me as a non-drinking man. Because he inside would be like, oh, thank fuck, because he was a fucking nightmare. I was. And he was trying to do, as parents do, keep you on the straight and narrow. My father only understood tough love. My mother only understood tough love. They didn't understand. As I said to you last night, you know, I'm fucking hundreds of books in. That's a lot of books. It's hundreds of books. It's hundreds of fucking books where you're learning about life. I'm thousands of mistakes. And I can look at my children and, you know, one of my children, my young lad is really soft. He's, he's like you. He's soft. And when I say soft, I mean it as it is, not that it's weak. My brother is soft and I would regard him as a strong person. His nature is soft. That's just as simple as it gets. But I mean, I can nurture my son because tough love would crush him. And I said this to you last night, but how much, how many books did it take for me to actually be able to look at it and go, ah, you couldn't do that with him. If I give my son tough love, he would, and I said this to you last night, I was able to describe my son to you and it's you is in a sense of he's soft. And cause he didn't, cause the beauty of chatting to so many people over the years is there's not that many personalities on the planet. You know, and I was joking with my sister today going, Jesus is great, we're such a large family because I think Mammy had so many because I can pick and choose from them and go, oh, I know someone like that. I know someone like this. Mm-hmm. But the same token, you, you were alive, your father is alive. Life isn't over. You have the opportunity to go... Dad, I appreciate you were trying to give me tough love. And I didn't know at the time that you were trying to do this. Just for me, my personality, unfortunately, it just crushed me. And then I'm stubborn, which meant I retaliate. That's honest. You're not blaming him, but you're, as a man, saying it as it is. You know what I mean? And I mean, you've BPD, which means you have emotions. I give my father a hug and he shivered. He just froze and shivered because he had no idea how to relate to me hugging him. He'd none. And, you know, I can tell you from a person whose father is dead, you will regret not doing things. You'll regret that. I can tell you that 100%. Um. Thankfully, when my father died, we had mended our ways and we had mended our ways many years previous to it. So it wasn't like we mended our ways and then he died. But I can tell you, like, I don't regret we had. I regret that he's not alive. That I don't get to talk to him, that I don't get to, you know, show him the man that I became because it took a lot of strength to undo my horrible childhood. But you still have that opportunity. You can either lie on the ground and feel sorry for yourself, or as I said earlier on, you can get up 
and start taking the punches and start punching back at life because you still have that with your father. Christmas is only a week away. <clears throat> you don't have to be miserable. Watch a couple of fucking comedies. It'll put you in fairly good form. We've BPD. We can't help our emotions. Don't be watching thrillers or horrors or fucking gore.com or, you know, stuff that'll upset you. Watch shit that makes you happy. Because, again, I respect the fact that I've BPD, which means my emotions don't regulate as quick as others. So I deliberately watch shit that makes me fucking happy. Just to give me a little boost up. Like when I'm... If I'm in work and I'm feeling shitty, I put on I put on dance music. Because I can't help them but feel fucking hyped up with the dance music. And I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm altering my brain because I don't have that perfect ability that other people have. So I manipulate a true knowledge. You can do the same. And with, with the gambling, gamble. Like, I would say... Yeah, I'm going to put a fucking tenner on a horse this week. Fuck it. Why? Every gambler doesn't want to... Every gamb- Every person that gambles doesn't want to be a gambler. Yes, they try and fight that as if somehow they're going to win. As I said, I want to box the fucking head of practically everybody I know. But I don't deny that. I don't go, no, I'm a really nice person. I'm a pillar of the community and I'm a, a fucking legend and, and all this and I'm a really perfect... I want to box... Like today alone, I think I wanted to hit me children, children three times. Today alone. I know today is finished now, but three times today I wanted to fucking hit them. And I was working, which means it was fuck all of the day that I wanted to hit them. But I did. I did. I wanted to hit them three times today. And I wouldn't mind they didn't, they didn't fuck all. That's just my nature. Mm. Now, they haven't a clue that I wanted to hit them. My wife hasn't a clue that I wanted to hit them. The only people that know I wanted to hit me kids is everyone listening to this. <laughs> right? But my family hadn't a clue. But I don't deny it. According to them, just, do you know what I did this evening? I was making heart-shaped kind of beds out of cardboard because my daughter took a load of rubbish out of the bin and I was like oh fucking Jesus Christ right in my head oh fuck this shite because she took a rake of rubbish out of the bin and brought it in and put it on the floor and went oh I think I'm going to make something and I was like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck in my head Right, in my head. That was the first time I wanted to fucking hear. I wanted to give her a fucking slap in the back of the head. Because, I mean, why wouldn't I? She's after taking rubbish out. Do you know what I said? I think that's amazing. I can't wait to see what you're going to make. Yeah, that's what I said. And she made a fucking deadly dog's house. It was fucking brilliant. By the time it was finished, but three times during the whole thing, and then I ended up making these love heart-shaped beds because she needed a bed made and I was cutting the fucking thing out going this is fucking shite this is more shit for me to clean this is fucking shit you know what I mean because as a parent you're there going as parents you don't see your child creating you see I have to clean up this whole fucking mess and I'm just finished cleaning the fucking kitchen 
perspective. Yeah. So my children hadn't a clue. Because like they were like, oh, this is brilliant. I was like, oh, no, it was brilliant. I have to be honest. What she made was fucking class. She's brilliant at shit like that. Absolutely a legend at. But I wasn't over. That's my point. I'm not denying that I didn't want to hit them. I did. <laughs> According to them, daddy was a fucking legend because he made heart-shaped beds. And I fucking did. And I made them like a fucking legend. I wasn't over the moon about making, but that's life. What can you do? They're kids. Mm-hmm. At some stage, they're going to listen to this podcast and figure the fucking truth out and go, oh, wow. But you see, at some stage, they're going to be parents stressed to the fucking nines, trying to get life done on a Saturday evening, trying to settle down after a full week's work. And I hope to fuck their children go out and pick up a rake of shit over a bin and bring it in and put it on the floor. Because then they'll see. <laughs> and I hope they turn around going... Oh, that's lovely. Oh, yeah, I hope you do really well. I hope to do. That's life. You're going to get the opportunity with your dad and your mother to go, you know what? You Like earlier on, you said I'm a cunt, and you are. As am I. There's plenty of people out there that, that listen to this podcast that might not have BPD that goes, he is a cunt. I can tell you here and now, they're fucking right. I am a cunt. I'm a good cunt. There's a big difference. And you can be a good cunt too. Don't be denying if you're a cunt. I'm a prick at times. Thankfully this evening I wasn't a prick because I was full of energy. You have the opportunity to go to your mother and go, you know what, I will be there for Christmas Day. It's going from my it's going from my head now, and I, I already feel like it is a possibility. Whereas oh. before yesterday, it was like, nah, I can't deal with that. I just take the easy road, you know. But now, after speaking like you speaking some sense into me, I guess is is probably what I needed. Um, so it, it is it is still possible, you know, and it's definitely something now I'm going to be thinking about because I, I was thinking about it today when they text me about it. You know, are you coming or not? And, Kind of said no, so yeah. There's, there's a few days now that I can book a coach back, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I'm already thinking differently about it after just having this conversation. So yeah, appreciate appreciate your feedback on it because I need I just need that someone I think just to fucking speak some sanity into me. Joe, as I said to you last night, and again, that's why I'm I'm brutally honest with the podcast is. We just need to have open and honest conversations where nobody feels offended. I can call you a cunt. You know I don't mean it. I can call myself a cunt. I do mean it. But at the same token, it's because we need to be able to say these things. I need to be able to say to you, you know I'm not trying to get the boot in. I have nothing. I don't know you from Adam. But at the same token, I want the best for you. Right? As I said to you last night when we were chatting, I'd fucking help you as much as I can. Don't be fucking lazy is what I said. Work hard. I'm big into that. As, and, and the reason I said that is if I'm going giving you my time, it's fucking my time. You know what I mean? This is something I do and I love doing it. Just fucking work. Because you see, I can no more than your father. I can only do what I did. I got back up. I took the slaps again. I went... 
I mean, I went to work every day and fucked. I sprayed a car once. I fucked it up. I felt so bad that I sprayed it again and fucked it up again. And I was going on holidays the next day. So I sprayed it again to try and get it right before I went on holidays. And I fucked it up again. And I got up at four o'clock that morning and went into work. And I sprayed that the four time. And I took my fucking time and I got it right. And then I went to holidays at six o'clock that morning. And I had the best holiday because I could have went on holidays. Held on to it. But I decided to get back up again. And I could have went. Nothing could be done. I was officially off. But I went back in. And thankfully, it got right the fourth time. And that's my point. I could have just went on holidays. There would have been nothing said. The mistake was made at that stage. It was not. I was officially on holidays. But I got up. I went in. I fucking sprayed it the last time. And thankfully, I got it right. And that made my whole holiday. Because my whole holiday would have been ruined. Because I would have been ruminating over the fact that I was a useless bastard. And that's my point with life. And I was, uh, at the time... 24 years of age, so it's 19 years ago. And I'm proud of that. I fucked it up. I mean, the money was gone. There was no money made of that job. Mm. I lost a ton of money. Like, I lost the company a ton of money. But the fact is, I didn't give up. And do you know something? My supervisor was so proud of me doing that, even though I lost the fucking company a ton of money. Because of the attitude I put into it. He says, do you know something? Fair play to you. You came in, you fixed it, and then you went on holidays. And he never forgot that. Even mm-hmm. though I lost a... Fu- See, that's what people appreciate. Yeah, you don't yeah. give a fuck about the mistakes. They give a fuck. Are you going to let me down? Get up and take your slap again. Stand there. Take your slap. You know what I mean? You want someone beside you who's going to take a slap. You don't want them lying on the ground. Get up and take. And that's all I figured out with life is that I, all I had to do was get up again. And, t- and you know something? Why not? I got enough beatings as a fucking kid to take a slap off life. And that's why I do say to life, fuck you. Because You know, fuck you to life. And I genuinely mean that. If there's a God, fuck you. If this is all you have for me, then fuck you. Watch what I can do. And I genuinely mean that. That's not like, because you know what? I was geared for this shit. I was geared to take beatings and I was geared to take abuse and I was geared to take life fucking me over. And each time I'll get back up again until the day I die. And I have to say today, I live a fucking simple life. It, it gets so fucking, it gets so simple that I won't discredit it and say it becomes boring, but it becomes pretty fucking trivial because you're so used to getting them fucking, you know, when I make a mistake in work now, I laugh because I've made so many of them. When the kids take rubbish out of the fucking bin, I can smile, help them, and they have no fucking clue I'm raging. I'm entitled to be raging. They're taking fucking rubbish out of the bin. I'm not entitled to abuse them 
for taking the rubbish out of the bin. I'm entitled to be raging. That was my correct emotion. I'm not entitled to fucking ruin it for my daughter, who's only trying to be creative. I'm not entitled to do that. You can make a huge change of your life if you just start taking slaps from life. Start taking the fuck yous from life and the fucking you're never going to be good. And of course, but each time you do it, you're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. You've played soccer. You know what it's like to lose. You get back up and you start again. You don't lie in the fucking ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get back up. You know the players that lie down. And I wasn't, and that's, that's a mad thing, really, because I was ultra, I was competitive, and I wasn't the best footballer, don't get me wrong, but I give 100%, and if I give a defender, if I made a challenge, I, I put in hard challenges, you know, I wouldn't pussy yeah. out of anything, you know, but it's it's weird, because I've got I've got that side of me, hmm. but it's just, that, yeah, as time has gone on, I just become a lot really defeatist, and, but, yeah, um, yeah, you're 100% right in what you're saying and uh, it's definitely something I needed to hear, to be honest, because it, it slapped a bit of sense into me. Because I, I, I've I was obviously lost my way and like I say, the whole logic and that reason goes out the fucking window. What's it is. And, like, is your diet shit at the moment? Uh, average. It can be better and I've... Uh, yeah, it can be a, it can be better. It went downhill a bit, yeah, the last month or so. But mm. I, I'm going to get back on track. I, I like my veg. I like eating healthy, so it's not not it's not even a chore. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't. I grew up on microwave meals. Um. From a mother mother's side anyway, because I, I grew up my mother's house. She she wasn't a cook, so I can't even stand the sight of a yeah uh, microwave meal these days. And I, I I eat very little processed food. So I I like you. I like I like fresh food. You know, like yeah. Um. So. So yeah, that's 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 not that's gonna get better, you know. That's gonna help. So uh, yeah, there's no, look, and I and I'm repeating myself. It's 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 like you said to me yesterday. You know, you're not you're not big on YouTube, and and you were telling me about stuff on YouTube and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, and I don't put many videos up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I don't want ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. I thought I did, but I didn't. Because, as I said to you last night, I don't want 100,000 people because I can't spend two hours chatting to you last night. Yeah, no, I've been like, yeah. And that's what's important to me, you know, is the ability to have honest, open discussions with people with BPD and just fucking hash out life. I don't have all the fucking answers. I've only the answers for Sean Keyes. I don't have the fucking wisdom. I couldn't tell you what it's like to rear teenagers. I couldn't tell you what it's like to have adult children. I don't know these. I don't know the answers to these. I, I see my sisters and, and my nieces and nephews are adults. I can sum, summarize what it could be like. But I don't have all that wisdom yet. I don't even like there's a ton of shit I don't know, but I can only answer honestly what I do know how I came over stuff. And you can't do that with 10,000, 100,000 people. You can't spend. And that's why I love the podcast. That's why I don't advertise the podcast or. Yeah. Nice. I'm not on social media now. If you find the podcast, great. As in, if you find it, as in like, if you find it. And if you don't find yeah. it, I don't fucking know about it. You know what I mean? There's parallels there with, um, 
like this organization that's helped me with the gambling um they, they never advertised you know never yeah. advertised because they didn't want to get swamped and they didn't want people to go to the rehab that maybe necessarily you got to try other things that's a last resort and they don't want people to take the easy road and just go so um yeah they, they never advertised for similar reasons really like they just you know the ones who need the help will find it you know yeah. the ones who really want it will find it and you know absolutely if you, as I said earlier on, my life is a choice. At any given, I could go down and roll up. Well, I can't roll a fucking joint with no, ha- I've no hash in that. You know what I mean? I don't do hash anymore. But at the same token, I could do all these things. There's nothing and nobody could stop me. But that's my choice. If I do these things, I'm making a very serious choice on how my life will turn out. And then I get to miss out on my children. I get to miss out on, you know, on, on, and I'm being genuine. My daughter fucking actually took a picture of it. It was legendary um, what she did. I'm going to show you because I am proud of it. I might put this up. On Facebook. Well, I'll put this up on YouTube if you want it. But in general, I won't put it up. But uh, there's my, uh, there's the fucking hardship. York and shit like that, and the bed I made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's a little legend. <laughs> I'm proud of it anyway. Fuck you, right? I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same token, it's a choice. You have to you have to just take it by the you have to grab God by the balls and look at him in the eye and go, I'm gonna fuck you over. <laughs> and he's going. Great, let's see how we get on with this. I've often thought there's someone up there looking at me fucking me over. It's like you kind of think karma. Yeah. You know, whenever I've done something wrong, it always bites you in the ass, doesn't it? I'm thinking, oh, someone up there got it. Fucking pissed someone off in a previous life. Yeah. Yeah, yes, karma, isn't it? But no, look, (laughs) you have your choice. You have, it's all. Yeah, you're right. No, it is choice. Do you know what I find with life? It's attitude. It's a complete. Yeah. Attitude. In other words, I know what I want. What I want is family, friends. I want community. I want these things. I want things to be, I want a simple life. I want my kids, you know, to be able to come to me and talk to me if they have a problem. I know they probably won't because I'm a mad bastard, but I want these things. It's everything I, I want. I, I want the family and that, and I just I worry that um, my time is running out. And but then you wouldn't have had your children till what? How old was you? Thirty. I was thirty six. So you yeah. know, yeah, I was thirty six. You're living proof that it is still, you know, because you think you, you get get the thirty. It's like oh, you got to uh, get your ass in the gear, you know. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, my wife. Yeah, I was thirty six, and you know. Two things, you're like, I was 30, my mother was age 17, having her first child. I was, my mother was 36 when she had eight children. Yeah. And I was 36 when I was starting to have children. And, you know, the maturity of that is huge when you're 36. You know, you do, I am a lot calmer. I, I, if I was a parent... I dread to think I'd be a walking bastard. If I, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'd be a walking, as a young Ready, man, yeah. yeah, I'd be a bastard. There's no denying it. I'd be a bastard. 
I'd be a fucking my kids would be fucked up. If I had kids when I was younger, I was I I'd be fucked up. You know, looking back at me as a young man, they'd be fucked up. Like there'd be no they, unfortunately my children would have to try and do what I'm doing. <laughs> they'd be the next one going, you stupid cunt. Now we've to try and fix it. Um so thankfully I've cut that cord. It'll be me. I sometimes used to think like because I, I was my parents had me when I was young, and I, I suppose I wanted kids from an early age. So I, you know, um, part of me kind of thought, you know, if I had kids back then, you know, would that have, would that have like straightened me out? You know, would have helped me out? No, go on, choose it. You know, we know, but you know what I mean. Like, there's always that element of would, would I have grown up quicker? Maybe no. not. You know, but I used no. to think, well, maybe. <laughs> no, I can tell you now. If you've trouble, kids will amplify that by 20. Yeah, this is what I've yet to experience. If you don't have your shit together. Like, kids remind you of every fear you have daily. Mm. And whatever you hate about yourself, they will highlight that about you daily. And if you don't get your <laughs> shit together... They are a constant reminder of everything that you're afraid of in the world. Mm. And if you're afraid of being a shit parent, they're fucking legends at that also. So if you like with, with parenting, you really kind of need to get like, yeah, <laughs> you kind of need to get your shit together. Kids don't fix things. Their job is not to fix things. Their job is to be little people who break things. That's their job and bring rubbish in from the bin. Um, that's their job. Their job is not to make your life better. Their job is for you to enjoy them. To rub their head when they're falling asleep, to lie in beside them and, and give them kisses. Good night. That's that's the, like the, the shit I love is, is stuff like that, to play board games with them. But if kids are if, if kids are going to fix some kids, don't fix what you have. They amplify it. So whatever you have, it'll be amplified. And I can tell you that now, the love I have for my children is fucking beyond compare. I love my children 20 times more than I love my wife. And I love my wife to bits. The joy they bring me is unfucking natural I could be like a bastard and they would... My, they, they would just give me a little hug or a kiss and, and all the anger's gone. They're legends. They're brilliant. They're the best thing that ever happened to me. But I had to be fairly good. <laughs> As I said, if I had them when I was a young man, I'd be probably living my life with guilt. Yeah. You know? Trying to not remember all the shit I did to them that I'm trying to forget that I didn't want to do because now I'm doing exactly what my parents did. So thankfully I didn't. Thankfully I, I like I was 36, you know? Um, so I got a good, I got a good run at it. Thankfully, you know? Uh, yeah. And you're 33, you've three years and mature into them mature. in. I know you have no kids, but like, you know, mates of mine are having children and they're 40. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a bit easier for men, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, it's a bit easier for men. Of course it is. Look at Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm not Mick I don't Jagger. Know, he's still alive. Yeah. But no, no. Yeah, look, 
You know, as I said to you last night, and I mean this, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. You can fucking ring me. You have my number and all that, and we'll chat away. And as I said, yeah, I think this is all people need. I need to ring people. I do ring my sisters and have a chat, and I'd be ringing them, going, "Oh, I'm, I'll fuck." I'd be ringing my sisters like, oh, "I'm fucking telling you now, that's fucking it, and I'm fucking this, and fucking that, and fucking, and the fucking, 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 and I'm fucking done." And that was last week, and the fucking, 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 yeah. And they know they go, just let them off, just let them off, and then they ring me the next day. Well, how's, how's it all now? Ah, they're great. Do you know something? I couldn't love them kids anymore if I tried. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? People need that. I need to be able to ring my sisters and go, ah, oh, that's fucking it now. The fucking, oh, I'm fucking tired now. I had enough. I'm fucking done now. They're doing me heading. And then they ring me the next, well, how are the kids today? Ah, do you know something? I love them to bits. They're fucking great. I love them kids. I got a great hug after. That's life. You need to be able to ring people and say, fuck it. I'm fucking sick of this shite. Fuck this life. And for them to go, yeah, yeah. And just let that faint out. Yeah, I and just... I, I, I appreciate the offer. And I'm definitely, I'll take you up on that. You know, I, I will. Hmm. I, I hope I get my head, like, I hope I can go back to my mum's Christmas because I know I'll, I'll regret that if I don't. So that's the first thing. And um, yeah, but I, I appreciate it. And I'll definitely... Yeah. Get in touch in the next few days, maybe, and just see how things are going. You know, with uh, yeah, yeah. Christmas, that's the that's the kind of first thing, I guess, and uh, that'll help build build off that. Then, you know, because I want to see my brother as well back home. It's not fair on it. You know, I'm, I have yeah, much yeah, relationship yeah. with with him, so it would be like, good to. And like you know, you're the eldest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, you're the eldest. Lead by example. Lead by example. And I know by saying that to you, you might go, fuck it, I can't. I've fucked up life. You haven't. You're still here. As I said, it's not a podcast from heaven. I keep saying that because I do, when I die, want God to allow me to do a podcast from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) But you are, you're the eldest. You're going to be able to lead by example. And at some stage, your family is going to be so proud going, just you were a fucking nightmare and look at you now. Mm -hmm. As I was. I was the ultimate nightmare. If you asked any of my family, it's me. I was the nightmare. Do you know what the best was hoped for me when I was a young man? The very best they thought would happen to me as a young man was I'd end up in jail away from everybody. That was what was hoped. Do you know why it was hoped? Because I was so fucking violent. Yeah, it couldn't do any damage to anyone else, yeah. They thought the best thing for him is jail because at least then he'll be locked up. I'm a married man, happily married with three kids. Nobody seen that one coming. Nobody, especially me. I have a legend of a wife too. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have a good support system. That's, 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 yeah, that's what I need. Yeah. Oh, I have a, and this is why I, I offer. My fucking, you know, the, the pod, don't offer the podcast. It is what it is. But this is why I'll chat to you for two hours. You know, the, the ability that my sisters give me where I can ring them and go, fuck this, fuck life, fuck the fuck, fucking, fucking, fuck. You need to be able to do that. That's just normal life. 
And if you can't get that, you can't vent it out. You can't say, fuck it, I'm not going to my mother's and have a chat and go, oh, you know, she's going to be fucking disappointed one way or the other. And you need to have that over and back where my sisters don't judge me. And as you see, I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't judge. I have a major problem if you don't have any empathy, if you fuck up and go, uh, I've done this. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you don't feel bad about that. No, I don't. Well, then I have a problem with that. That's the only fucking shit yeah. I don't like. And I'm, I'm entitled to have a problem with, you know, well, I went in and into a bookies and, you know, he was, I lost a bet and I said, fuck you to the fucking person or whatever. And I'm like, well, did you go back the next day and apologize? No, fuck them. Yeah, then I don't want to talk to you. That's, but I'm entitled to that. I'm entitled to go, yeah. well, you know, I don't really want to fucking talk to you then if you're not going to go back and go, look, I'm sorry, you're kind of fucked up there. Beyond that, no, I'm, 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 I, you know, you need to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to ring someone and go, I, I feel like a worthless bastard. Yeah, I don't think you're a worthless bastard. And I wouldn't say that. I think you're a cunt because I'm a cunt. I'm more <laughs> fucking cunts. And <laughs> you have to be something. I don't mind being a cunt. Worthless, no. If I thought you, if I thought you were worthless and I'm being genuine, you would not contact me. You'd say fuck it. Mm. I don't. If you know the fact that you're you contacted me, tells me you're not worthless. That you want it. That you want to try and get better, and you want someone. The only thing I have is experience. I don't have the intelligence of, of academic, but I have experience and I have lived a well, life. Speaking, speaking to someone who's been through it means a whole lot more than speaking to someone with a PhD of, you know, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, 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 this kind of thing beats, you know, I discussed about having the option to do DDT therapy, but you're placing a lot of faith in someone you don't know and they, they might have a fancy certificate, certificate at their desk. But what do they really know? Like, there's no better, this is like therapy. There's no better person to speak to than someone who's actually lived it and got over it. So this trumps all that kind of stuff, mate, to be honest, you know? So I really, I really do appreciate it, your time. Yeah, no, that's, that's all I can offer. I can't offer academia. And, and look, in all respect to people who do, you know, they do spend four years or eight years in college and that's not easy as well. So, you know, all respect, yeah. even as they say. But no, yeah. I, you need someone to talk to. You need to be able to, and you need, and that's what I'm saying, even with this podcast, you know, I, I, I'll keep it anonymous as they say. You need to be able to come on and talk about life. And, and this is the problem. We're so shamed into talking about shit. The amount of shit I talk about, like this is 101 podcasts in. The amount of shit I've disclosed is probably only 5%, but at the same token, it's still quite a lot. <laughs> in the same- <laughs> It's still quite a lot, you know. Um, but it's the same token, fuck it. I'm going to talk about it more and more and more and more because you have to. You have to be able to say, I've done this. I was a bastard in my day. I've done shit that I'm not proud of. I've done shit to my wife I'm not proud of. I'm, I've done fucking horrible things to people that I'm not proud of. And today, I'm a better man. And by the time I die... I can guarantee you the, the scales will be tipped that I will be way better than what my badness. That's a fact. I know that because I've already tipped it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I was a bastard. And I don't deny that. But I keep doing more good, thankfully, these days than bad. 
and that's all I can work with. And you can do that too. You can go, right, there's me ton of shit. All I have to do is a ton of good. And now we're balanced. And then just keep going. Because that's what people look back. I don't give a fuck who you are. People always look back to people who had shit and go, Jesus, you had a fucking tough life. What did you do? People love that. And I'm not saying that because of me. I'm thinking about, you know, Victor Frankl, who was in the fucking concentration camps where he lost everything. And the only thing that kept him going was the fact that he was going to see his wife and child. And when he came out, they were killed. And he became a fucking legend of a human being. Placid. Why didn't he go off shooting every German he could find? He became kind of one of the kindest people you could find. Because it's a choice. He had every reason to find every German he could find and shoot them. And he would have been justified at the fact that they killed his wife and daughter. And he made the choice to be a humanitarian, to be a a kind, caring human being. They're the fucking people I'm following. That's the type of people that influence me. You know what I mean? That's who I look up to on. If you can fucking do that, I want just 10% of that. I want, how did you do it? I couldn't imagine someone killing my kids and my wife and I come out feeling humanitarian. I couldn't, I would be on a fucking rampage for life. I wouldn't want to be. So that's why I look up to people like this going, how the fuck did you do what you do? And that's what I'm on about is finding people that, you know, Oprah Winfrey, People in life that had shit lives that turned it around because they're the people that you look up to. Do you know one of the best stories I ever heard? I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's false, but it changed my life at 19 years of age. I was, I was reading a book and in the book, this fellow went to prison for robbing a store and your man didn't want him to rob the store. So he shot him dead. And he was in prison for life. And his brother was a pillar of the community, a kind of a a preacher in America. He was an area manager for Walmart, lovely house in the suburbs, wife and kids. And didn't this reporter get wind that the two boys were brothers? Right. And he went into the prison and he says to your man, he goes, you know, how did how did you end up here like? And he goes, oh, my father was an alcoholic. Every day he'd come home and he beat the shit out of me. He says, what did you expect? And he went to the brother who was the area manager for Walmart. And he goes, how did you end up here? And he goes, ah, sure, my father was a fucking alcoholic. He came home every day and beat the shit out of me. What did you expect? The two boys gave the exact same answer. Yeah. You know? Choice, yeah. Choice. 19 years of age is when I read that and that gave me so much because I thought I was a worthless, useless human being. Bastard is, is the correct term. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I did. But that little paragraph when I read that in when I was 19 years of age opened a little bit of a door that went, oh my God. I mean, so... I have an option not to end up in jail. And that was an option for me to go, wow, 
I fucked up millions of times since that, if I'm being honest. It's not like I got this divine inspiration and went, oh my God, I'm cured. I mean, that was the beginning of the most amount of my fuck ups, if I'm being honest. However, I held on to that little glimmer of hope going, oh Jesus, there's still an option here for me. You know, and you need that. You need that option. You need that to go, I know I'm fucking up, but there's still an option that I could be good. And I held on to that. And thankfully, over the years, I kept reading and reading and reading and reading. And even my wife, I said it to her once, said, how the fuck are you staring at me? She goes, Sean, you keep trying. <laughs> just, she goes, you just keep trying. That's a fact. I couldn't believe why she stayed with me. And I, you know, and I said, it, why, why do you stay with me? And that's what she said. She said, you just keep trying. She nearly said it with an air of sadness going, you're a useless bastard, but you just keep trying. <laughs> and I did. I just kept trying. And I do. Even to this day, I still keep trying. I hope to make millions of mistakes before I die. My God, I learned so much from making mistakes. I'd be disappointed if I made no more mistakes because the most amount of my wisdom comes from me being a fuck up and I'm pretty good at it. You know, I still have to fuck up my kids. Can't wait for that one. But, you know, <laughs> of course, for any parent that thinks you're not going to fuck your children up, good luck to you. You know, you are. And that's just parenting, you know. And my children then can try and do better than I gave them. That's life. But either way, keep trying. That's all I'll say to you. Keep trying, you know, and keep getting back up. Don't lie down on the ground because you'll stay down. And that's where you'll end up getting suicidal thoughts and fuck life and it's not really worth it. You know, get back up and take another baton and, and get back up and take another baton and keep taking them beatings until you fucking fuck you to life, you know. Because then, let me put this first here. Next week, if you call it Boxing Day, don't you? We call it St. Stephen's Day. You call it Boxing Day, the 26th of December. Even if Christmas Day doesn't go well, your mother's going to be happy that you came. Mm. So it's win-win for her. And I'm not being smart, but fuck you. You have to think of her. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah. No, I appreciate um, I appreciate the chat, Sean. Honestly, it's really yeah. uh, it's uh, yeah. See, like I said, it's talked some sense into me. Really, has because uh, I'm already thinking about going going back for Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just I after it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go because it's half ten, and um, I want to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Just that simple. But uh, listen, uh, you have my number, obviously, and keep in touch, you know? Definitely, mate. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do this again, you know, in a few weeks or months or whatever, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. We'll see how... But yeah, I can't thank you enough, mate. And um, yeah, you give me a newfound optimism, which I haven't had for a, a good uh, few months. Yeah, yeah. And look, keep failing because that's how you'll succeed. Like, you yeah. know, you will succeed if you keep failing. Just keep getting back up, you know, 
Right, I'm going to say goodbye then. It's good timing. My uh, my iPod's just run out of battery. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> right, good yeah. luck. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. <laughs> yeah, Have a good uh, rest of your weekend. I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye.